I mean, my heart's beating. My heart's beating. My hands are shaking. My hands are shaking, but I'm still shooting. I'm still getting the headshots. It's like, boom, headshot. Boom, headshot. Boom, headshot. Just gonna send it. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Just F and Send It Podcast. Hope everyone's doing okay today. Today, I got with me, once again, my good buddy, Chris Way. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Hey, everybody. I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing good. Uh, we've been we've been missing each other, man. It's like we're trying to nail down. This this three-hour differential in in uh, time zone shit is for the fucking birds, dude. Um, yeah, yeah, man. School starts back up, and half my day goes away to kind of transporting kids and picking them up and taking them to sports. So by the time my day's done, you know, nine p.m. and midnight in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, man. I, I, I get it completely. I get it completely. Um, just so everybody knows, I don't know if you're going to have this issue uh, in listening to this, but I'm only hearing Chris on my left side. So if you're in your car or your truck and you only hear Chris on your, well, hopefully your driver's side. So <laughs> if that's what's going on, I'm not sure. Um, but either way, you'll be able to hear him. So, um, but yeah, so you've had uh, sports stuff with your kids. What What sports do your kids play? And I got, I got four kids, and all of them are different. So we've got rock climbing, which is kind of a family family activity that, that we all do. I think my wife and I like rock climbing more than they do, but they tolerate us. Uh, two of them are in camps and, and teams for rock climbing. And then uh, my youngest does archery. He's learning how to you know, draw and, 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 and shoot stuff. Nice. Um, volleyball. Uh, my wife competes in volleyball, and so does so does uh, my third youngest. And then uh, my older kids, they're they're track and field, cross country, and then uh, my oldest son is really into fly fishing. So we kind of, I'm just getting out, and, getting out and fly fishing when we can. Yeah, so now a lot of like outdoor. Uh, adventure type sports and, and less, yeah. uh, like organized sc- scholastic sports, stuff like that. Yeah. I grew up swimming. So, um, even though it's not a huge part of my life right now, I grew up swimming. So from a very young age, kind of getting up, going to the pool, you know, that regimented structured training protocol, but it wasn't like the team element of, you know, passing and, and so on and so forth. So I, I'm used to being around people who are driven and motivated hard working, but um, the kind of team sport stuff was never a big part of me growing up. And then that evolved into surfing, skateboarding, which again, you know, you're, you're out there with people who are driven and excited, uh, you know, aggressively protecting kind of their activity and their their kind of philosophy about why and what they're doing, but but not necessarily like pass me the ball kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of rubbed off on the kids, and 
they've tried soccer and they tried, um, you know, the, the volleyball is pretty much the only activity that, um, that, uh, one of my daughters is super into. She's, she's pretty good. She's like, she carries that damn ball around everywhere she goes and, uh, she can do it. Yeah. yeah. I get, uh, you know, I, I just like bonding with people over the activity and doing it, but not necessarily, um, yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't have that kind of exposure. I grew up in Israel, so, uh, you know, we didn't have football. And even though people played basketball, everybody played soccer. Um, you know, swimming just resonated with me. So, um, did I, I did I know that you grew up in Israel? Not, probably not. I mean, it's, it's something that comes up from time to time, but it's not something that I, uh, spend a lot of time talking to people about because we end up talking about shooting all the time and, and, uh, you know, yeah, it doesn't really cross yeah. right now. Well, that, that's <laughs> culturally, yeah, it plays a big role in my behavior. Sure, culturally, but from there, I moved to California. You know, and got really into the surfing skating community. So, like the, the, you know, I basically just kind of talk like a skater. And uh, speaking of which, before you go forward, speaking of which, I put this together. I don't know what was it a month or two ago. We were talking about yeah, your family and like your like your brother was like moving or something like that. And then I got to thinking, I was like, Are you related to Danny Way? And you're like, Yeah, that's my cousin. I said, Holy shit. If you don't know, folks, I, I have a, a, a I have an inkling that not a large uh demographic of my audience are either skateboarders or former skateboarders. If you are a skater or former skater, then you will very well know who Danny Way is. Uh, he is arguably a an absolute legend in skateboarding. Uh, Danny Danny was like notorious for his like long man, which is a trick. If you don't you don't skate, you don't know. But long manuals and nose manuals, and then also doing long jumps, whatever, and. I was like, that completely makes sense that that you skate and your brother skates and you surf and everything and you're related to Danny Way. I was like, you know, I never put that together, but I don't know many people with the last name Way. And other than other than you, Danny's the only one that I knew. And so it's just crazy small world. I didn't even know Danny Way was from Colorado. Well, where no, originally from, but yeah. All right, so that it was just fucking awesome. And uh, yeah, I think I thought it was really cool. I think most of the ways kind of came down from the well. So it's a tiny family, and and uh, you know, and I, I'm just speaking in general. Like uh, the the way family, like when you, it's a, it is a super tiny family. My my one of my grandpas was into genealogy, and uh, he wasn't away, but but he realized that there was a lot that was known about them because because of this tiny family. And uh, back in the um. The early days of the country, we were Tories, so um, so we fought for the Queen, and uh, of course we're chased out of the country at the, when when uh, when America got its independence. So, so the waves went up to Canada, and so they they were Canadian and moved westward through Canada into Alaska. And a lot of them ended up in, in kind of uh, like Wisconsin, North Dakota, Oregon, and Alaska. And then slowly started to kind of come down that West Coast. But there really aren't that many ways. And actually, 
at the the sniper adventure challenge um it's it travels around but the last few years it's been in wyoming there's two brothers who shoot i've never seen them actually shooting at a competition but they're always ROs at competition dynamics and they have the last name and so we met them and i was kind of make a point to like hang out with those guys the, the the Way Brothers, they're giant. Like most, most, most Ways are like big people, like super tall. I feel short when I'm around a lot of them. And uh, dude, they're freaking awesome. They're like motorcycle riding, you know, hardcore dudes who, you know, work professionally and then kind of decided they were just going to get back to it. Got some land out in uh, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time I see pictures or hear from them, they're doing something awesome, like riding their motorcycles around. There are always a competition dynamic matches as our own, kind of cheering people on and just living the life. But, but yeah, man, there, there there really aren't that many that many ways. And, and, so uh, what you're telling me, what you're telling me is that you come from red coat stock. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> I got it. yeah. Yep. Dude, my yeah, my uh, my right arm the uh lower from my elbow down is uh is a betsy ross flag and come from north carolina i've got first in freedom that's part of my license top of our license plates it's first in freedom because of the uh mecklenburg declaration and the halifax resolve uh there's contention but history shows that in uh was it may 20 is may 20th I think of 1775, North Carolina was the first state to declare independence from from Great Britain. So that's why it's first in freedom or whatever. But yeah, I thought it was funny. You're, you're, you're the only person that I know, other than act, actual English people, that are aware that their ancestors were fighting for the crown. <laughs> so I thought it was funny. Yeah, well, there's a book like the, the yeah, yeah. The, well, you know, like the Way family has this genealogical book, you know, so. Like put right in my face. You are the queen alone. Right. The, and England, England gave the family like a bunch of land up in Canada, and uh, you know I just think that's pretty funny, you know. And and then uh, then they all come back here anyway. So. You're um, Canuck. Most of them are, are, are you know kind of along the northwest border. So yeah, a lot of us kind of came from the Oregon area and then kind of trickled down south into California. Um, that's how it goes. But, Dude, uh, what kind of dog do you have? Because he sounds like he, he's he's so loud. He sounds like he's a Great Dane or a moose or something. <laughs> yeah, he may as well be. He's a black lab, but dude, the guy just like he'll he'll go till he basically like collapses from heat. So yeah. his uh, tongue's dragging on the ground. I'm just throwing the ball for him. Nice. Are you? Let me ask you this too. Uh, are you connected to like earbuds or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I'm in the. I'm, I'm the, wondering I, if that is the issue with the audio with your one side. I have no idea. It may not be. Do you have one side hooked know. up? Or do you have both sides hooked up? They're both plugged in. Okay, well, that should be fine. But it's just the earbuds, like the the AirPods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it. I can it, hear you in both ears. Right. Well, it, it's not you. It's 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 this system. Then it's the the roadcaster must be doing. But no biggie. Everybody's on. Everybody's gonna hear you. But anyway, so moving forward, man. Uh, dude. First of all. Like your podcast, I don't I don't know of your insights and, and metrics of how that's doing, but I'm telling you, you're killing it. That's a, I, in fact, I was when you when you texted me earlier, uh, I was actually listening to your, you 
latest one at the moment when you uh, messaged me or whatever, and I was like, huh, I thought that it was Chris. And um, <laughs> but you, you, I'm really digging the information that you're putting out because you're putting it out in a way that it is like what is what is the opposite of voodoo? Like you are putting it in the most scientific and mathematical way to where people can understand the importance of um, what matters, what matters when and, and how much stock to put into a certain aspect versus another to where like in your latest episode today, well, not that I haven't even finished, um, but you're talking about, um, you're breaking it down like the four axioms and, you know, wind system, uh, shooter and I forgot what the other one was. Either way, uh, the point is to talk about wind. Like you would think, like the wind is the most important. Well, you said you made a very good point, and I didn't even think about because I would, I would always say like yeah, wind is probably the most important. Other other than you had all your if you had all your poop in a group, all your, all your ducks in a row, then wind is most important. But you made a good point. Like hey, really? Because you, you really only need one wind call. The majority of the time, generally speaking, it's your first shot. And then it becomes, I guess you could say, the shooter aspect comes into play of, you know, spotting your hits or misses and then correcting off of that. And in theory, for the most part, you've got your win call. You know, yes, yeah. things less, things can change, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. especially given you've got a, a head, a fish tailing head or tailwind, then, yeah, obviously you can – have to make multiple wind calls but for the most part generally speaking you get your wind call after the first one as long as you do your part in seeing that and making a correction so the emphasis is on you know really the shooter is so so your and that's where rifle craft comes into play of getting your your craft number as as low as you possibly can because that's going right, right. well, to have the greatest effect Am I, am I right? Yeah. That? Well, I, I mean, yeah, that's the approach that I like to, to think about things with. And I think that, um, you know, it's it, it, uh, one of those things that once you get involved in the shooting world and you, you kind of hear all of the explanations that are normally thrown out there, they start to contradict each other. So you need to decide, okay, how are we going to look at this? And, and I like to look at it in terms of practicality and um, people have a lot of explanations and, and, and they might be right, but, but I just like to say, look, this is the way I'm thinking about it and I'm going to measure it and I'm going to measure other people. And from what I can tell, this process is working faster and more efficiently for people, you know, when they start, when they start to do it. So, so I think that it's pointing in the direction that we're on the right track, but it's hard to say this is, you know, inconclusively, um, or conclusively, the only way, because obviously you can do anything and get good. That's more or less what people have done up to this point. I think that there's, a, you know, some prerequisites and some people re- do a really good job kind of pointing out the prerequisites. There's the people that focus on fundamentals of marksmanship. I don't know how people came about the fundamentals of marksmanship, but to me, in my imagination, uh, you know, I kind of made up this fairy tale, like, People had, you know, you, you're trying to teach a bunch of yahoos to have basically no skill how to shoot a rifle, more or less offhand. You got this light thing, 
that recoils and how do you control it? And they say, well, these are the things that, you know, bring the most people to a more effective capacity. And they isolated those things out. But as we've gotten better, equipment gets better. The weight of the rifle has been going up. People have decided, fuck it, I suck it offhand. So I'm going to, I'm going to put my bag, I'm going to put a bag down and shoot off of a bag. And, and, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of human nature to say, man, that was really hard. How do we make it easier? And somebody realized, like, if I put the rifle on something, it doesn't wiggle as much. And all of a sudden, we have barricades. And, and it makes sense, right? If, I, if You know, why would I stand up and shoot if I could put it on a windowsill or the hood of my truck? Right. And it's, it's almost a point of, like, okay, you have to think about what, what and who we are and what we're made of. So, like, if we were mm-hmm. robots that were made of hinges, metal, things that don't move, then it, we would be a walking barricade, basically. But considering yeah. we're human, we, you, we have bone, ligaments, tissue, muscle tissue that fatigues. I mean, even just holding your hands out as if you're not even, like, like you're holding a rifle. But there's no rifle in your hand, so you're not holding any weight at all. You can't keep your hands still enough like with no rifle in it. Then you go and throw weight, you know, like basically it's isometrics at that point. There's a reason why that's, that's a form of exercise or, or, or bodybuilding because, well, it, it's activating and firing your muscles. And when that happens, their stability goes out the fucking window. Um, you know, that's why your uh, high-power shooters – um, that do all the, the standing, kneeling, prone, all offhand stuff. That's why the rifles aren't 24 pounds or 22 pounds, whatever. They, they physically can't, they can't do that. So it, you, we have to, you know, yeah, it makes sense to use a hard, rigid thing that does not get tired. And this is like, obviously, but if you break it down in, into those type of, you know, that way of thinking that everything makes sense. So you could look at it as bullet down. Hey, what is the, what is the best way to remove all muscle out of a rifle system, uh, human muscle out of the, because when you're on the rifle, you're, you're part of the system now. How, mm-hmm. how can we take muscle out of it? And right, that's, right. that's the beauty of, okay, let's put it on a back. Well, well first it was, cause if you remember, it was a lot of no bags. It was just put your rifle on a barricade and like pull your bipod in and then clamp your bike, like your hand, like with the bipod and the barricade. Like, yeah, that's better mm-hmm. than offhand. Right. Well, how about what if we put something hard to soft, a hard rifle onto something soft. So then you see a sand sock. Okay. Well, that, that's significantly better than just the, the rifle on a, a two by four. And then it came to, okay, all right, well, let's see if we can change the fill and maybe the shape and size of these things and enter the, the modern day, you know, game changer. And Mm -hmm. it's the progression, the evolution of what we, that's just in the past 14 years or so, you know, Mm -hmm. how long we've been shooting shit forever. And then now the past 14 years, it's amazing. You take not, not to knock anything on the, the, precision rifle shooters and competitors of, of old, but you take a guy and in, in, that was doing it in 2008 and you bring him into 2022, like in a time machine. And he's like, doesn't has no idea how these people are shooting, you know, three quarter MOA targets all, you know, positional at 850 yards. 
but they can do it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, a, it, yeah, the progression is, is what's huge and, and, and vital. And I think we're progressing every year. Some shit changes every year. When it was a couple of years ago, you had that ingenuity wedge system thing. No one fucking uses that thing anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I've, I've actually never seen anyone in person ever use one. I've never seen one in the wild. I only saw them like on the fucking internet. And but but yeah, yeah. that was just like what three years ago, and and now right. no one no one uses that shit anymore. No, you could run right, right. you could run a match with one bag and a bipod or a tripod, and you know crush the scores of three years ago. Because we the equipment has has changed, but our shooting styles have changed. They're more yeah, yeah. they're more specialized. They're more uh, game oriented, you know. And I, I think that's why a lot of like military application. That's why they're always kind of downstream of civilian competition. You know, you'll see better tripods in the field now than you did just a few years ago when they had like Leo photos with like the or whatever bullshit tripod that holds up a, a point and shoot camera that's got a center column, and you, know, you may still see some of that, you know. But uh, you know, duct tape over a piece of PVC for a clamp or whatever, or then oh, the hogsaw. Now they're all coming into they're downstream of what we're doing, and they're picking what they need that they can u- utilize in the field, and and they're having great success with it. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, to me, it's human nature. Human humans in our DNA or, or, or in our instincts, it you know, we strive towards making harder things easier, right? And you can see that everywhere you look. Like if you, if you know, I mean, I just because of my lifestyle and and my personal history, I've spent a lot of time out in the fucking wilderness with nothing. And and when you when you kind of get put in that kind of survival situation you realize really quickly the hardest things to get in nature are carbohydrates particularly sugars oh yeah um and so it's hardest to get sugar it's hard to get carbohydrates and then it's hard to get fat and then protein is relatively abundant fiber is relatively abundant so now what do we have if society is built around kind of limitless sugar limitless carbohydrates because our history that's been really hard to get year round and yet our bodies perform some functions at its best because of sugar and carbohydrates. Right. And so, but, but now we're all fucked up, right? Because we, okay. um, we have, it's, it's too abundant. It's too much. Of a right. Good and thing, you know, yeah, right. And, and it's, and then the same thing, like we need water, we need shelter. Well, most of us have clean water, shelter and lighting a fire could be pretty hard so now we have lighters and we have electricity and we have all these things that allow us to be able to cook food really easy so all those easy things got satisfied and so we're always on this search for what's the next hardest thing to get or if you or you watch i mean i wasn't around you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago but like okay you watch braveheart movie you know, everybody nowadays is like right tactical experts. So watch a Braveheart movie and watch how they line up for battle. You got spears in the front, and then horses, and then archers, and then you know the officers in the back. I guess that hasn't changed, but yeah, like catapult. The point is, like, right? We just we just line up 
and just fucking like stand in front of each other, you know, be like, like boxing or, you know, like the British SAS, or, you, you know, like the, to, to go at some point, they have to like stand there with their feet on the ground and punch each other in the face yeah, for, for like two minutes straight yeah. and not flinch. Right. And then, and now you think of like that versus jujitsu, like things have evolved yeah. because at some point you're like, dude, we're just punching each other in the face here. Like let's, let's add some complexity to it. So, um, you know, you want to hit a far target, man, it's really freaking hard to do it offhand, but it becomes much easier when you just put it on the ground. And so how do you find that happy medium where you've got the success rate? And I think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of psychological research about learning and behavior and, and it all points back towards humans perform best and they improve best when they have about an 80% success rate. So it makes sense. Like shit, if you put, if you took a PRS competition and you said this whole competition is going to be offhand, it's going to be less than an 80% hit rate. Oh my God. So how do we make gear? So you get about an 80% hit rate. And so I, I kind of think of as matches where people are going to be the happiest. They're going to fall in around this bell curve around 80%. And the winners do a little bit better. And the people at the bottom end of that do a little bit worse, but that 80% hit rate, it gives you enough positive feedback to be like, wow, this is fun. But it gives you enough struggle to be like, wow, I want to get better. And, and we're, instead of modulating it with skill, a lot of times now you can modulate it with equipment, but we got to remember that, yes, that's cool. But now that you're, let's say you get 85%, what are you going to take away to bring yourself back to 80%? Like, how are you going to make it harder on you? And, 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 and that's kind of the journey that I'm on right now is first, how do we get people up to a proficiency level? And then how do we kind of start backing off? stuff so that they stay in that sweet spot for learning well, and um, yeah, not only that but uh, backing off to then to where there's growth to where yeah mm-hmm. you're 85 but you know, what you everyone like but everyone would like to be 100 percent. so if if i could go i think that match, that would be fucking epic i mean obviously if you did it would every, be, but I, if you did it every match then it'd probably get boring to you so, yeah. But, so, so, yeah. but check this out. Like, have you ever done something like you trained up super hard for it and, or you, you like all this anticipation for it, you prepped and prepped and prepped, you did it. And then afterwards you were like depressed for like a week or two or three or more. Yeah. Yeah. You like, don't I, have like, a goal to, to, to work towards anymore. You don't have a purpose in not generally speaking in life, but you don't have a purpose for the, the training, the hard work that you put in for that task. I mean, a lot of champions, mm-hmm. a lot of champions feel that way. They, right. They, they and I think some of that has to do with like the, your nervous system and the dopamine, the feedback that you get of success. If you get, if you get too used to that, it's almost like, it's almost like an addiction where mm-hmm. you kind of need that stimulus. And if you don't get it, I, I would be willing to bet that there are people in the shooting world that had a bunch of success, but as soon as they got beat, they just quit. And I think that's because they were performing above that 80% zone too much to the point where it caused a dump in dopamine or it caused a dump in that positive feedback that they were used to. I think there's a risk for being, for having too much success. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, I bet the people that persist for decades, I haven't reached that point in literally anything in life yet. So I'll let you know when I get there. (laughs) But I do think that like when you get past that zone, you gotta be really careful because too much success 
could potentially hold you back. And when you see somebody, especially if you're chasing somebody in, in a sport or in a performance thing and you're catching up, they're used to being better than you. As soon as you beat them, you can tell like what's motivating and driving them because a lot of times those people then just, they vanish. And, uh, and I think that's curious. You see it in climbing, you see it in, you see it in a lot of activities. Um, and well, Chris, on a, on a, on a larger note, you see it in life, dude. I mean, like go, yeah. going back to like what you're talking about right now and what you talked about a minute ago about how, like think of in the Braveheart days or even not even talking about Braveheart specifically, but just how hard like it was to produce fire, how hard it was to yeah. to gain shelter, and what do we have today, dude? We've got fucking electric cars like the fucking Jetsons and some shit. We've got virtual reality goggle video games for kids. We've got, I mean, du- dudes don't know what bathroom to go to because they think they're a fucking woman. We have no problems, at generally speaking, as a species, especially in this country or any of the Western developed countries. So we got to fucking make up problems. That's what we've done as, as a society. I mean, you go any, go to fucking, go to like some shithole country in, in Africa and go ask them, like, hey, what do you do about your, your transgender, uh, um, um, fuck, what was it? The, the word has left me. Uh, right, right. <laughs> you, I get what you're saying, like, like, and what, I totally agree. What are you talking about? Like, we no, we, right. we, we, gotta, we just killed a buffalo. We got to go clean that thing so we can feed our family this week. And, and that's yeah. what they're worried about. Yeah. Right. And um, they, that's what we, as a problem of society that we're in today. But, yeah, so everything you're saying is 100% true because it doesn't just apply to shooting by, by God. Right. It's the least thing it applies to. It applies to everything that we have. If you, if you get a success rate as, if a, as, a, like, as a society, if you get to a point of modernization and you get to a point of absolute comfort, I mean, that goes to that old saying of hard times create hard men, hard men create good times, good times create soft men, soft men create bad times. Hard time. So that's right. that. It's the whole thing. Uh, you, as soon as this whole thing crashes and burns, we're all gonna start like hunting for our our next meal and skinning them and wearing them for clothes and shit. And then we'll be producing hard men again instead of you know Nancy little fucks that want to you know tuck their wieners and put on women's underwear or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It, it, that's <laughs> that's what it's gonna take for us to get past this you know uh, era and what we're in. I'm not just picking on. I, but it's just that was an example. But I think that the truth, like in the way I feel underneath all of it is that we don't have to do that. Like it, it comes down to like, you know, self-reflection a little bit and deciding like what's important to you and just making sure that you stay, you kind of keep yourself in that like, okay, there might be feast and there might be famine, but if you can proactively keep yourself between the two and prevent some of that, like, you know, super high, super low and just kind of go towards some goal in the future. Um, you know, I think that, that I think we could do that today and, and then you don't have to have hard times making hard men. You just have good people doing good things all the time without the big flux one way or the other. But it's really easy because we got so many things that are distracting us, particularly social media yeah. and a lack of other things in our life to like have perspective to say like, Whoa, like this ultimately can cause, 
even though it feels good, it, 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 it's leading us in a road towards negatives. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, we got way, way away from shooting, but I, but I, it, it's the same idea that, that I think applies to shooting and training and stuff and saying like, okay, well, you know, that, that's why I just said like, look, let's talk about it in terms of like the four components of why people miss <clears throat> and never forget that they all combine to make the probabilities higher. It's not one thing. It's not another thing because everybody wants you to believe that their little gadget is going to make you super capable. So you get it. And then somebody changes the course of fire where it's not applicable. So now you got this low, low. So you go from high, high to low, low. And, and, and right. It's pretty insignificant in the scope of life, but on the other hand, it's a hobby that we invest time and, well, and money and, and we, we think about. So, so think about all those components all the time and it'll be much easier to keep a level head. And it might, you know, you won't get that super high, high, like, oh shit, all of a sudden I got this fancy gizmo, but it'll be harder to take it away from you too. So, you know, if I, if I was going to make a match where deliberately I was going to make sure that the best shooters had a hard time, you know, obviously I would focus on all four of those components, but I would probably drive the equipment because people have been driving the equipment so hard. You know, I'd make it, I would try to, to figure out what advantages the equipment's providing and try to create scenarios where the equipment itself wasn't an advantage anymore. Yeah, you got to rotate the yards with your 24-pound gun before yeah, you, I mean, before you even get yeah, to shoot. Yeah, right. And the Hunter Masters have done some of that. And I think, you know, honestly, like, I'm not super impressed with the diversity of shooting right now. And, and I think that, you know, it's pretty hard. It's easy to say, like, oh, fuck, we need more other stuff. But, um, I, I, you know, but, but it's a small it's a small community, really, and it's a small economy, and a lot of the progress is driven economically. You know, so if you come up with a gizmo, everybody buys it. Now you've got money and influence to change the way a match goes. And I think that, that probably worked with some gun builders and some bag builders to create what we see now at the PRS, but, um, you know, there's, there's tens of millions of gun owners and hunters and there's hundreds of competitors. So, so like the, 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 you, you can't even compare the two, right? I mean, there's literally hundreds of competitors and there's literally millions, of tens of millions of gun owners. So obviously people who own, rifles and use rifles for hunting are not interested whatsoever in the landscape of competitive shooting. And I I don't, it's not my business to try to bring them in, but certainly that has not been cracked. And and a lot of people don't care because as long as you've got a few hundred people come to your match, that works. You know, I kind of think about it like, um, you know, like they say, like the oldest profession is prostitution. And, uh, you know, I kind of think of all the leagues as run by pimps and the match directors with their ranges are kind of like the prostitutes. But in reality, you know, we're all just a bunch of dudes who, you know, we're all just a bunch of dudes who like to pay for sex. And so like, if nobody really cares about the pimps, they just have particular styles of ladies or, or, or trannies or whatever you're into that, um, midgets, you know, and, and so, you know, offering people things, you know, people are going to pay for it. And, and, and obviously we demonstrate that by going to shoot 
matches. But I think more diversity will bring in more people because obviously if, if we count the 12 million hunters as dudes that like to pay for sex, obviously like the right types of venues are not, uh, we haven't figured out what those are yet. Yeah, you got you to you get a whole lot of pussy. So, so, so I think that, that thinking about, you know, cool new things and man, you hear about old ones that went away and it doesn't make sense. And then things like Assassin's Way, that's not for everybody uh, because it involves like, you know, moving around and stuff. But it, it seems like what, what would really change it is if the industry supported financially a little bit more and that would draw attention. But right now the industry doesn't have the money or the interest in really promoting that. Although Six Hour has that hunting games thing, it's kind of exclusive as to who gets into it. You know, you kind of have to be a celebrity of some sort. And the, yeah, you know, I just just don't know. So I just figure, fuck it. Like until we can figure out how to do that, make cool, more interesting marksmanship challenges that have bigger rewards, you know, people are driven by those rewards. There has to be some low-hanging fruit for people to be drawn towards those things. I just think we haven't figured that out yet. And yeah, I mean, we all like to shoot, so let's focus on shooting. Yeah, you got, like, example you said about hunters and the, the number of hunters versus the numbers of competitive shooters. I mean, you got, like, the state of Wisconsin. I don't know if they still do it or not, but the state of Wisconsin, like, for the opening day of hunting season, school would be closed. It's like a holiday because they're going to skip anyway, so they're going to be in the woods. I mean, a whole state did that, basically, or at least large swaths of the state would do that. Um, that's the, the numbers are astronomically weighted to one side and that's the hunters because, well, the shooting is the, the sport of shooting is just that it is just shooting shooting. As far as part of hunting, majority of people that hunt, they're not, they're not interested in the shooting portion. They're interested in the in game in, in the quarry. They care, they care that they got that buck or they care that they just shot five doe and now they've got the freezer full for the whole year. They, the, the, but how they got it is, you know, you got archery, you got black powder, you got dog hunting, you got steel hunting, spotting stalk, fucking trapping, whatever. Um, that That's just a portion of that sport. So we just... We, we fell in love with a portion of that of that hobby, pastime, sport, activity, whatever you want to call hunting. We, we fell into the portion of, you know, sending this thing from where I am way over there to then kill it. Like, that is almost as important as the animal dying. What are you doing? That's loud as shit. <laughs> well, it's all good. Um, they, yeah, they care more about, you know, the, the game that they kill, we care a lot of, at least we put all the heavy emphasis on the process in which we killed it, which is the shooting portion, you know, and it, you got, you've got to be able to, you got to be able to uh, make the shooting portion, the carrot for the hunter to yeah. come into, into our fold. I mean, but all this, this ties into, you know, what you mentioned earlier about being above that 80% and kind of once they lose, they, they quit or whatever. Like if you took Morgan King, 
the dude wins everything. I mean, the, the, he's uh-huh. a, a fucking phenom. Um, yeah, but I mean, really, I mean, I know Morgan. I like him, and if he's listening to this, or if people listen to this, and then whatever, like, you know, I, I can't say anything negative about Morgan. Yeah. I'd be really curious if after if he shot a whole season and never even got third place, if he'd be as motivated to come back to the following season. And like, I, and that would be really curious. Not that I want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I'd be really curious if those people who are used to um, having that consistent success, if they would stay with it, if somebody else trained like crazy yeah. and they spent a whole season now performing at a standard that was less than what they would have expected, which I imagine is just below a trophy. If they would be just as motivated, yeah. which is why sometimes, well, <clears throat> you know, I think it's good to, um, you know, but I don't know. Cause I don't think, like he does and I don't act like he does and I don't pursue the same types of goals. So, so it'd be really hard to say. And I think you couldn't answer that. The only way that you could, the only way that we would actually know an answer is, is, is yeah, if it actually happened. Happen. Yeah. It's, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take some new people to come up. You know, he's been coaching and mentoring a shooter in Utah that's on his podcast a lot named Brady. And it seems to me like, you know, Brady's going to be coming up and as he starts knocking back some of those top guys, they're going to start getting burnt out because it's going to take more work and people are willing to put in more work when they get that success. But then ultimately down the road, it's, it's whether that success, whether that motivation stays there when, when you kind of get knocked back, you know, and that, that's how, that's how I kind of differentiate what I call lifers from non-lifers. Lifers are the dudes that just, they just do it for their whole life. Right. So you get like the 80 year old surfer, out on the break and he's been there since he was 15 and he's out there every morning, you know, because hell or high water. Yeah. And he may not be serving at the best, but that has, it, 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 it doesn't register to him because he loves the art and the kind of spiritual kind of, you know, when you're a lifer, you've, you've probably gone through that phase of chasing numbers and performance, but somehow you kind of transcended it. And then you kind of, Spend the rest. Of, yeah, that's how I feel with rock climbing and mountaineering and sur- got, survival we got stuff. The same like same thing in jujitsu. I mean, you've got guys that that are like we've got. I've got a, one guy in particular. His name's Matthew that I do jujitsu with. The dude is like sixty. I don't know, sixty six years old. He's like a hundred and twenty pounds, soaking wet. He's thin, frail. Just got his brown belt last year, um, and it, he doesn't have the highest success like put this way he isn't he isn't running the gym like a like a like a a brown belt that's my age could do or or something like that but he's there when the doors are open when someone's on the mat he's there because the, the man fucking loves it um yeah and it doesn't matter whether something I've whether been, if he has great success or terrible loss it's not going to change the fact that he's going to do it for the rest right. of his life because it's part of his, you know, bone marrow at this point. Yeah, he's super congratulatory, and like I've beaten Matt, and not not to toot my horn because I mean I'm thirty six, he's sixty six, and I'm fifty pounds heavier than him. And but when what if if I were, when that were to happen, he's the first one to say. Like, good job, man. That was awesome. You did good, man. You're getting real good. But if you took a 36-year-old brown belt, they got beat by someone that was less than 
you know, been doing jiu-jitsu for two years, they might not show up again. You know what I'm saying? But he's there every day. But uh, we got, uh, what I was going to say about Morgan is I was going to kind of give you my opinion on what the answer to your hypothesis was. Morgan is a hunter. And I'm not sure if if he got into this game the same reason why I did, but I would I, it's a safe bet. See, when I was a hunter, when I, my first time hunting in Kentucky, um, he, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I felt like if I was beyond 200 yard had a beyond a 200 yard opportunity at a buck of a lifetime, coming from North Carolina going to Kentucky. I was like, man, I don't know that I could take that shot and feel good about it. And I was like, well, I want to get better to where, because I'm having a hard time being in the right place and seeing deer because I'm putting myself in this situation to where uh, I can only see 150 yards. But if I, if I was good enough to shoot at, say, four or 500 yards, I'd have almost five times the amount of area to be able to see a, a, an animal that I want to kill. And if I can shoot yeah. that effectively, then, you know, I can kill him at 500 yards. So I was like, man, I don't know if I ever do that. Well, now a 500-yard deer, uh, that's just fun. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I don't care if, if, if I was getting – if I was winning, and I feel like it's Morgan. Morgan wins everything. If if he something started knocking him off, off the pedestal of being the, the king of PRS and NRL, I really feel that the hunting – would uh, keep him there because it's making him a better hunter. Like if, if it was me, if I was winning. Yeah, it's probably not fair to – he's I not a good example. And it's probably not fair to talk about him like that because he's good at everything he does. And, and, and uh, he is. Right? you know, I, I don't I don't think he's the kind of guy that, that we're talking about that would be not – you know, because I, I just don't – That He's the man. Every That's interaction I've had with him, right, right. He is not that kind of guy. And I do think that his life – He's, he's almost a veterinarian, at which point his career is going to take time from shooting. So him not shooting, I don't want anybody to think that has anything to do with anything other than you know, he's leveling up other parts of his life. And when he wants to come back to shooting, he's going to crush everybody's life just like he does now. Right? So he, he's not a good example because I, you know, I feel like I don't know him that well, but every interaction I've had with him suggests that he likes being good at stuff and he is good at stuff <laughs> and he puts in the work that he understands is required to achieve a level of performance. And I think what we're talking about more is people that have natural talent and they have success. But then when it comes time to have work, they're like, yeah, fuck it. No, and that, no, we're, <laughs> you know? we're, we are in agreement. I don't feel that that's Morgan. I think Morgan will be doing this as long as he can do this, no matter because he loves doing it. And he has, yeah. I think that that hunting aspect may be also uh, c- help contributing to that. I think Morgan is in this for, we're going to be seeing Morgan King at the top of the charts for a long, until he decides he wants to move on to other things. And it will not be because he doesn't love the game. He, he's a good example probably of what you want to be, of what you want that guy to be where like, hey, he's teach he, that uh, Brady guy, you know, he's helped mentoring him and but I can't think of anybody I'd probably rather have mentoring me than Morgan King. And, you know, he's going to be, you know, super competitive with him because he's a, you know, listen to his podcast. He is a competitor's competitor, but he's also the first guy to shake your hand when you beat him. And 
that 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 to me, actually, me and CL were talking about that the other day. That to me is a competitor's competitor. Like he is a guy that you hope that you that you hope people look at you the same way as as that you know we look at Morgan. He's uh, like when the um, at the World Championship, you know he he had a, a malfunction. Not you know not to take anything from Austin's game. Austin fucking burned it down. But you know Morgan knew that when when Austin hit that last shot, he knew that that Austin had won. Morgan was the first guy to go over there and shake his hand and tell him, "Good job, buddy! Like you you fucking yeah. killed it. You did awesome." And that to me is just. That's a, a mark of of a of a champion and and of a guy that um, that you want as an ambassador, one for your sport, but in that case particular for your country. And when I did a podcast after they won, you know that that was one of the things that I said that I really truly meant about the entire team was that I, I don't know many of people that that I could have picked and put together that would have done a better job, if at all, of being an ambassador for the United States than the, the guys and gals that went over there. They, they, they fucking, first of all, they shot their asses off. Second of all, they did it with grace. Third of all, they were super good sportsmen too during the competition with the competitors from the other countries. And yeah, that, yeah. that's just as important. To me, you know? And I think they knew that going in, like, man, you know, some of this, isn't even playing field and stuff. If you, if you had me put together a team, I'd have probably put together a different team um, just because I don't know everybody in that world. Like, I didn't know who the Austin guy that won. I never heard of him before, so, I, you know, clearly I wouldn't have picked him not because, you know, not only because... Not because he wasn't of, deserving, it's because you didn't... You right, right, only because of my ignorance. Of, yeah, you weren't aware of it. Right, right. But it's not, that's not, that's not my world, right? It's the PRS world. Like, I, I don't know shit about fuck, you know, really, when it comes to PRS. So, um, but I would have picked Morgan, and I would have picked Tate Streeter, for sure. Um, All the JTAGs. Tate Streeter is my, Tate Streeter is like, you know, my shooting hero. I, I tell everybody that. Like, he, yeah, I mean, he just represents, like, and can perform across different styles and nice and, um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about him and Morgan. Although I would have sent Nick Gadarzy, um, because you know, I think that, that Nick is Nick, extremely talented. Nick is the man, and uh, he really is. And Tate's Tate. So I don't, I don't know why he was. Tate's Tate's proof that a big guy can fit in little places. He can get into the same <laughs> shit that I can, that me and you can get into, and he's twice our size. He he can get small right. quick when he needs to, which is awesome. Um, he, he, right, he's right. a fun guy to watch shoot for sure. Yeah, I've shot with him at competition dynamics matches, basically. Like, so that's that's where I met him and see him shoot. And he does the uh, like team safari, and um, he, he I mean he he's won steel safari quite a few times, which is an individual kind of walk around and shoot. Sure, but team safari, you got to run around and shoot and stuff, and he's out there getting after it, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. He's a crit. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably. He's a critter killer, <clears throat> bitch too. That dude kills shit all the fucking time. My man is laying a smackdown on the fucking animals. I do, I would not want yeah. to be a deer in, in his in Oklahoma, <laughs> because or, or a coyote. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be neither one right. of them in the state of Oklahoma because you are never safe uh, from uh, Tate. Um, 
or any of the JTAC guys, but he's a, he's a killing son of a bitch too. And that's that's cool because that's like I said, that's what I that's why I got into this game. And this game has in since what twenty seventeen, I shot my first match. I think um, you know it's taken a almost an equal or even a greater priority um, than than hunting has. The reason why I got into it, you know. In fact, speaking of which, so Phil and Phil and Kalen are coming back to um, Virginia uh, in November, and then I realized that the week, and I was going to go back and and hang out with them and, and take the course with them again, and uh, and then I realized that it's the same weekend as opening season of uh, rifle in Kentucky that I plan to go this year. I said last year I'm going to back to Kentucky next year, and so I really had to fight and struggle with myself. Like, what which am I going to do? And I, I, I broke down. I think I'm, I'm going to Kentucky. So I'm going back to Kentucky this year. And whenever they come back for another course next year, no matter what, I'm, I'm canceling whatever it is I had planned on that same weekend. And I'm taking a course with them. But um, I am super, I'm, super, I'm super excited about my, my hunt in Kentucky this year. But dude, you're missing so, out is a big deal. Like it's real. But you got to, I mean, I think that's really important to say, like, look, it is. Some of this shit is going to always be here. But season for season for hunting, like man, if you, if you only have a window of a month a year, but but the other eleven months, there's opportunities to do other stuff. Like, look, you don't have to do this today. And man, I mean, that's been a struggle my whole life with the things that I do because I try to kind of rotate seasons and activities. Uh, maybe less so since I started shooting, but but being kind of uh, like super excited about trying all the styles of shooting that are out there. I see all these events and, and that's, that's really hard to pick and choose. Like, um, and there's just too many to do unless you were independently wealthy. And that's, you know, I think that's, that's a struggle that I've kind of come to terms with, but only, only pretty recently just realizing how expensive it is to travel to matches and, the time and cost versus other stuff, knowing that all you have to do is wait and you're going to get another experience. And it's not that big a deal if you skip this one. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hard. I mean, and you think like, okay, well I can do that with surfing or I can do that with climbing, but now I can't do it with shooting. And then, and then finally I kind of feel like I've matured in that aspect of shooting. Like, I don't have to go to that match. Um, and you do you do shoot an ass load, a metric ass load of matches. Um, this year, this year I shot thirteen matches. Yeah, that's national yeah. matches. Yeah, but <clears throat> thirteen national matches. Yeah, but um, but I tried to do different styles. Like, so it wasn't um, you know, I had that kind of DNF with PRS, but 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 none of them were PRS. It was the the only one of that style that I shot was the NRL finale. And then I did locate range and engage team matches, sniper matches, hunter matches, um, kind of running, running gun. And then, and then recently the guardian, cause I'd never done that. And it's more important to me to try all the different types of shooting than it is to try to get good at one niche. And that's different than most shooters. Like I don't, I don't know too many people out there that are trying to, have an average level across all these styles versus, you know, make the finale in one of them a, or something a, like that. A proficient, I mean, a proficient level 
on to where you give you give me a gas gun, I know my way around with it. You give me a pistol, I know my way around with it. You give me a bolt rifle, I know that too. Whatever that that's that uh, you know jack of all trades, master of none. Like not not the first best at anything, but the second best of everything. That's yeah, that's that mindset, and I think there's. I've said it on this podcast, I believe as an American, you should do everything you can to make yourself as deadly as possible. If everybody did, we'd all be politer to each other. And, you know, whether it be with running a gun, whether it be with hand-to-hand combat, like jiu-jitsu or, or boxing or wrestling or whatever, I think, I think you should do your, do your best to just to be as deadly, as general, general rule, just be as deadly as you can. If everybody did that, we'd all be... A little bit more politer to each other, I believe. But so you shot the Guardian, and it was your first Guardian. And not only was it your yeah. first Guardian, you fucking won it. So that's awesome. Um, what was your What was your takeaway? Uh, whether it be the the whole cause, whether it be the the style of the shooting. Which, mind you, the style of the shooting, at least out here, you know, the way a uh, way a stage is run, or the way. The props are or the target array or whatever. It's pretty much kind of just like a PRS match or at bare minimum a one day match. But then you have day two, which is your, you know, you, you now have a tandem. You now have a partner that is either greater than you or lesser than you based on the performance the day before, which that's one of the things that, that I think I, one reason why I pump the Guardian so much is because yeah. it is for that reason and what it what it does for new shooters and stuff like that. Um, I really like my first guardian that I ever shot. I, I really sucked, and that was that one guardian was the guardian that didn't have a day two. And so it was at it was at, oh. it was at Woody's. So it was literally uh, which it's over here in North Carolina, and um, there was just a day one. That was it, and. Oh. So I didn't get to experience that as a quote unquote new shooter, but later shooting more guardians, I did. I got to experience that on the other end as the the more experienced and better placing shooter. And I, I've had a lot of fun every time I've done it. And I got the last one I did. I think me and my partner got third um, on day two. But uh, yeah, so tell me, tell me what you think about what you thought about the guardian in general. What? Well, I- I'd heard good things and I thought, wow, that sounds pretty cool. And the, the reason I hadn't done one before was just because it was on the East coast. It's expensive. It's time consuming to travel out there. But I was, I was really excited that one was coming here and then there was kind of a fiasco with cameo. So I, I had heard everything was canceled for the next five years. You know, rumors kind of flop all over the place, which inspired a podcast that I just launched recently. But then you know, I shot the hunter finale in Idaho and I came back and I thought, you know, man, maybe I'm just done for the year. You know, there was, there was some shit involved with the hunter finale that I was just not feeling super psyched about, um, going to shoot immediately, but I waffled back and forth and decided, fuck it. Like I got to do this. I heard so much about it and I don't know when the next time I'll be able to go. So, um, I got up at three in the morning on Saturday and drove to the match and they had uh, sight in at 7 a.m. They did a train up on Friday and I, and I missed that because I'm you know, taking care of kids stuff. And so, um, you know, I just drove straight 
to tight end, checked my zero, jumped in with my squad. Uh, Gary gave a talk uh, and 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 kind of introduced the concept, which which I thought was freaking amazing. Like I, I love the idea that we go out and we kind of celebrate as a crew, and that the rules are a little bit lax um, in terms of you know you go with your squad. Anybody could coach anybody, you know, and we can all shoot the shit and laugh. And granted, you know, the the same the same rules apply that would apply, you know, in a in a PRS or an NRL match. But you know, you're encouraged to have fun. And so, if somebody's fucking up, you know, please tell them you're on the wrong target, or you know, because you can tell, like you can tell when somebody's struggling. You can tell when they're not competitive. And so, at that point, telling them forgot to dial your dope or you're on the wrong target so that they can get a point or two versus a zero, you know, that's frowned upon in some competitions, but this one was highly encouraged. And so that was really cool because every squad had people that were struggling and nobody was concerned about jumping out and helping. Well, they, now, they, purposely, in general, they purposely have people, new shooters to identify themselves. Like, Hey, if, if your hand is not up and you see someone with their hand up right now, you need to do everything you can to make sure he's getting on target. Totally, totally. So, before you go any further, first thing, did Gary tell the key story? Yes. And what did I tell you? Yep, yep, he did. would do if he told the key story? Man, everybody teared up. I I think uh, it was pretty hard not to. It's the best story. And Gary, I know Gary's listening to this. I I would bet a dollar to a donut. And Gary's one one of my favorite human beings on the planet. And he, he tells that story at every – I've been to, uh, what, five or six Guardian matches. Every time he tells that story, it is as if it is the first time he's ever told that story in his life with the absolute same amount of sincerity and emotion. And like you said, it's not a fucking dry eye in the building. You know, it's, it, it, it's an amazing testimony. It's an amazing story and one that came – that has a, a wonderful, and you know, he's not an ending. He's not, he's not dead, but you get on point, a, an outcome yeah. had a wonderful outcome. It's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, but and you want to know what resonated with me, like more than just his story. Cause like, you know, yeah, obviously we can all relate to his story and, or we, no, I mean, none of us can really relate to his story, but we can all empathize and appreciate with the cause and the mission and appreciate like, wow, you know, he obviously, it's been hard, but man, he, his strength of character is amazing. But I love the fact that he had never shot a national match. You know, he wasn't a competitive shooter and he's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to fucking start a, I'm going to start a match and let's just run with it. And I love, I love that idea that like, you know, if you, if you ask shooters like, Hey man, I'm just thinking about putting on a match, you know, they're going to come up with 110 reasons why it's a bad idea and why you shouldn't. Everybody's going to try to talk you down from it um, and, and explain, you know, all the incredible ins and outs of, of, you know, this insurmountable challenge. But, you know, so many times in life, you just go do it, right? <laughs> you, like, you don't, don't listen to anybody else. Just go fucking do it, right? And that spirit, I love. I love hearing stories like that. Like, man, I'm just going to put on a national match and it's worked for him. He's been It's like 10 years now. And, um, he's just been doing his thing in, in, the, his own in the face community. of the naysayers. 
like yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, because now nobody's a naysayer. I mean, you can't argue. How many times in life, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you just, there's something to be said for if you want to go do something, just go do it. Like, you don't ask people for advice, and you know, because cause most of the time people are going to, tell you how hard it is and how it's crazy and you don't know shit about anything. And on the other hand, how many times in life have you figured out how to do something? by just going to do it. There were, you know? there was people who thought Uber was a, a bad, a bad business idea. Yeah. And, I mean, look at well, think about it. None of us would ever ride a bike, right? None of us would, would ever know how to ride a bicycle if, Every kid, we said, man, you're just going to fall down and you're just going to keep crashing and you're just, it, you know, you're going to get hurt over and over and over again. Nobody would ever ride a skateboard. Um, if, if all we did is tell them like, no, 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 this you know, it's not realistic. Like you're going to keep falling and crashing and you're going to get hurt. You're going to break your arm. You're going to, on the other hand, you just grab the bike and you go learn how to ride a bike. Right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, anything, at some point. Anything great that's been done. There was always, before it was ever done, there was people who said it can't be done or shouldn't be done. Yeah. So I, I like that. And, and that stood out to me. I'm transitioning to the car, but I don't think it's going to affect the signal on my phone. But, um, you know. So the, uh, night, the, night so, before, so the Guardian match no, 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 was no, fucking no, awesome. The night before, you, the night you were, the night before you left, you had, I don't know if you, you texted me, or you called me. And explain what we talked about, about your dilemma, about what barrel, your barrel issue or, or whatever, and your decision, and what you did in between there and the match. Because I think people can appreciate that. Uh, with the hunter. Like, so, yeah, that was, okay, that was so, the hunter. I'm sorry. That's right. That was with the hunter. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you, you switched over to the car, but, but – uh, Hopefully the audio is still good. The, um, you know, I've been shooting tons all year and I hadn't, I've been testing things and working on all sorts of stuff. And I didn't realize that like, man, I had shot, you know, thousands and thousands of rounds through this barrel and it just wasn't, it wasn't shooting anymore. When I went to go test the ammo, it went from like, you know, shooting an inch to shooting like three or four inches. Oh crap. So I got, I had, New barrels. I just hadn't put them on the rifle. Are you still there? Yeah, I got you. Okay. So I put two new barrels. This was going to the hunter finale, and I was going to shoot with my friend in a team match. If it wasn't a team, I'd have just stayed home because I thought, well, shit, you know, my, I don't have a rifle that shoots. Um, and well, and I could get it going, but I don't have time because I literally have to drive to the match. My wife had uh, PRK done. Uh, you know, her eye was cut open and then polished and, you know, whatever. I'm making up the details, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and so like there was a lot going on the day before. And so I, it was like, crap, I got to, um, you know, a lot going on. and I won't have time. And my range was closed because they're putting in a sewer line for a, for a, uh, development that's going on. I mean, everything basically said, you know, you're, you're kind of fucked, but, but anyway, I had a brand new proof barrel for my AI and I had a brand new proof barrel for my impact. I thought, well, I'm going to, I drove over to Mile High, and Mile High Shooter Supply is, is near my house. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I said, you know, Randy, I need to buy a case of 6.5 Creedmoor. And 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 so uh, he gave me a case of 6.5 Creedmoor ammo. I got the um, 
143 hunters, which had shot pretty good for factory ammo, uh, you know, considering what was available. And, and then I took off and I drove up to Wyoming. I, you know, had the brand new barrels on, I screwed on the muzzle brakes and, you know, got the rifles put back together. I stopped and, and zeroed the rifles and then shot a group, drove a little more, shot a group and, uh, and realized, uh, you know, one shot a better group than the other. So I was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to shoot that one. And, uh, plugged all the data into my Kestrel and, and, and finished the drive. It was a 12 hour drive. So I had, I had basically daylight on the drive to the match Friday and it started Saturday morning daylight on a 12 hour drive to stop periodically in Wyoming and try to figure out a, my zero B the speed. And then it's a brand new barrel. So I didn't want to shoot it. Like, yeah, I also only had a case of ammo. Um, and it, it, you know, it shot a good group. It was like the AI shot about a half inch and the impact shot about an inch. Like, all right, I'm going to shoot the AI. So we got there, checked in, you know, Saturday morning, and then uh, went to stage one, which our stage was Michael Lilly's stage. And uh, Cody got up, you know, shot, we found him, he shot him, I get up, and it, and it just won't shoot. Like, no bang. I cycled through 20 rounds. I just, it just would not shoot. And I'd had trouble with the AI comp trigger in the past. There's a second one that just wouldn't shoot because it was dirty. And I had one, another one that was sent to me um, by AI that had upgraded springs and, and it was kind of like the newer version of the comp thing, but, but it wasn't in the rifle. Well, I hadn't shot the rifle technically. So the master director was like, hey, if you got another gun, uh, go grab it. So we forfeited that stage because I had to, you know, I had a mechanical that damn rifle issue. And then, uh, you know, so we forfeited the stage, but we were able to, at least at this point, stay in the match. So I went up and got the other rifle, which thankfully I had. You know, I wouldn't have, had I done the testing at home, I'd have been like, shit, all right, this works great. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave that other rifle at home. But, but that was a proof barrel with an impact action and a new XLR chassis. Uh, and, and so I just ran up, grabbed that. We went to our next stage and had no more, um, no more issues. It's just that the, the group was a little bigger than I wanted it to be. And I had a tuner, but I hadn't used it yet. So I hadn't done any tuning and I didn't have enough ammo from that case to do a little tune with it, try to get it a little less. And I've kind of had mixed results with tuners. I think that, um, you know, this is totally another topic, but you know, you can't, you can't tune like an inch and a half factory ammo to a quarter inch like that that's no. not realistic no but you can you could probably, probably expect to bring it down by three quarters or maybe even 50 percent if you spend a lot of time but you're going to spend a lot of ammo testing a tuner if it if it's base kind of group without a tuner on the barrel is like an inch and a half or something like that oh, and yeah. i've also found different results based on the mass of the tuner and the barrel that it's on so I'm kind of on the fence about tuners. I think it's good for some things and it's not good for other things, but, but nonetheless, um, it worked for us. So then I came home and swapped out the AI trigger and I contemplated just selling the rifle because I don't, if something breaks, like typically I just throw it away. But, you know, I mean, I paid a hell of a lot of money for that rifle 
Um, just for the trigger to be shit. But, but, uh, so I put the new trigger on it and, and it was great. And, um, and so then I was like, you know what? Like, I don't, you're not going to get me to back down. Like I'm going to take that rifle and prove to myself that, that the trigger's not gonna fail. And if it does, you know, then that's like third strike. You're so right. I took that to cameo and cameo is pretty dirty. You know I mean? Everything out West is pretty dirty. So I, I figured like it's going to get filthy. And if there's any hints of this thing going down and it got really, really dusty and, and I didn't have any issues. So well, that's um, I had to actually so haven't asked you about how the, the trigger worked out in cameo, but I did see pictures from you shooting and holy dust cloud, Batman. It was, we don't have dust like that here. Like it just, it isn't a thing here. No, man, out West, like there's tons of dust. I think, you know, when you say, Oh, I'm going to take it out in dirty environment. Like you, you kind of got to come and see what it's really like, because you'll really get a lot of dust in your system. Sure. And that dust can have, you know, pretty severe consequences on, um, on the shooting, you know, of, of the system. Uh, and you know, what? I mean, it's what it is. Like you want your gear to work, and and I don't care how dirty it is. I want my gear to work, and if it doesn't, I'm not going to use it anymore. But on the other hand, like you know, if it's a design or a mechanical problem, or they had wrong springs in it, and they figure that out and they fix it. I don't want to create, um, you know, I, I, mountains out of molehills if they've got it fixed. Yeah, right, right. So. um you know, it's the same thing with the trigger techs. When they had the bad sear thing and all the triggers were failing, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's a thing that they fix. So, so they fixed it and they moved on. And I don't have a, um, you know, I, I wouldn't hesitate to use a trigger tech either. anymore because the issues, the issues fixed. And so uh, it's, it's no longer an issue. And I don't want to be like, oh, well, I had a bad experience with them. So I'll never get to use them again because I think that's. You know, that's just kind of an ignorant position to hold. Yeah, it's pretty foolish. I, I have made the decision that if I come out west to shoot with you or anybody else and I bring my AI, I'm putting the factory uh, non-comp trigger in my gun because that, that fucker never fails. But th- these comp triggers, dude, I wish they had a, I wish they had contracted Trigger Tech to build a fucking trigger. Uh, let's just leave it at that. I wish Trigger Tech was the one making these triggers. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, they may have figured out the issue and, uh, but, but the, but the original ones, um, they, they had a substantial number of, oh, yeah. of issues with folks and some people didn't have any issues, but, but I, my understanding is they fixed it and, um, there isn't an issue. Now the original kind of combat trigger yeah. or whatever you call it. Yeah. The AW trigger. Well, the trigger that comes in the AW, the AT, the AX. Yeah. Yeah, like people complain about the weight, and I, I never adjust triggers down. I literally can't tell the difference. Like, you know, I, I spend a lot of time rock climbing, so my hands are just kind of used to grabbing stuff. And and when and, you got nerve on. damage, you you shoot with your middle finger. You got nerve damage to your index finger, so that makes sense. But I, I literally I can't tell the difference. I went into Mile High to try to like check it out, and I I can kind of compare the two, and I I would happily shoot one of those standard AI trigger. Like it doesn't feel heavy to me at all. It's not like some of those old Remington triggers, you know, triggers that are, that are pretty darn heavy. Um, and, Oh, you're cutting out a little bit. Are you there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it worked good. And, uh, the match was good. I think it, 
you know, it's, it's what I imagine a PRS style comp be. I think the hit percentage average was very low because, <clears throat> um, you know, I brought in some newer shooters and the conditions were a little bit tough. The target size was about like one and a half to two MOA. And, and in those conditions with, with wind that people might not be used to, it wasn't super windy, but, uh, but, but it wasn't, tricky. it was tricky, wasn't it? Well, when you're, when you're in the Hills, the terrain influences the wind. And so, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that it was a, it was a, it was a good, fun course of fire. And I think the people that hit few targets still had a great time. And I think that's a testament to Dorgan Trostel being the match director because he's a good shooter, years and years of experience, and he knows how to make fun stages with a challenging course of fire. So even though people were missing, they're having fun moving and, and changing target direction. And, um, you know, there, there was a lot of movement and a lot of target changing. So, people were having fun and yelling at each other and laughing when people screwed up or, you know, helping them try to get on target, shoot. And, uh, you know, I, I generally that day, everybody was laughing and, you, you know, nobody knew what the actual hit percentage of the whole crowd was, but you wouldn't have been able to tell by their behavior. Like every single person that I saw and I pretty much saw everybody was laughing and having a good time and high five in and just, you know, just freaking having a blast. That's, and, that's uh, why the guard, one of the reasons why the guardian is probably my favorite match is because I've never, I have shot bad. I've shot good. I've shot bad at guardians. I've never not had a bad, uh, never not had a good time. It's, it's, it's fun. There's zero pressure. It's, it's just, it's laughs. It's, you know, lies getting told beers, getting drank, having a good time. And, to me that that is like the recipe of an awesome weekend spent and uh, you, know, you throw guns in there. It's even, it's even better. And that what, what you just described is how every guardian that I've ever shot has been now that the, tar- yeah. the target size thing, you know, typically generally speaking, a, if you take an average of all the guardians, one and a half to two MOA is probably on the smaller side of target size. And that's the way when they have met my home range at frontline defense, Paul typically has one and a half, two MOA targets. We don't have the wind and the terrain that you guys have out there at cameo, but the target size is on the smaller side of guardians, but you can go to a guardian in like Georgia or anywhere else. And you can find that the target size is two MOA to three and a half, maybe even four him away. The thought behind that is giving the newer shooters a higher degree of success and percentage of, of uh, success and ringing the steel. I mean, that's what they want. That's what they want, um, you know, the newer shooters to, to experience and have and get that. I remember the, I think, second guardian or third guardian I ever went to, day one, it I, I've never been to a match that, that rained and was as miserable as that day was because it was like mid-40s and and pouring its ass off. It was straight pissing. And there was an old guy there. The dude was like 80. And he had a two forty three actually improved fucking bench rest rifle. Like, 
he hand fed every round. There was no magazine. There was no drop box. It was literally a, a, there's one round chamber. That's it. And he hit like two targets all day. The man was covered head to toe in mud, 80 years old and said, that's the most fun he's ever had in his life. And, dude, that's badass. And Gary, dude, that motherfucker's ba- First of all, that dude is badass. That dude has seen and done some shit in his day. Like, that motherfucker killed Nazis. Like, in, I promise you. I mean, in World War II. He, uh, he, but Gary gave him a lifetime free entry fee, which, mind you, not to sound cynical, but, I mean, how many is he really going to shoot? But he had basically free entry to shoot as many gardens as he wanted to. He got to a match. There's no, there's no match fee for him, but he had the funnest time, uh, that he could, that he's ever had in his life. And, um, uh, Matt Enoch is a, a local, well, Virginia, he's a Virginia guy. And he, he's a, that's a really good shooter. He got paid. The guy came in dead last and Matt won. And so Matt, Matt had won, um, like that, that year they had, they had prize tables that are right raffled and stuff like that. But the winner won something. He ended up getting a six, five Grindle gas gun and he put it together that, that night for his partner, the the old man to shoot the next day. And Matt shot a different gun and the dude had a fucking blast even more so because you know, he actually had a lot more success and was getting helped. And he had a gun he didn't have to fucking hand feed. But that, right, right, right. It, despite the shit conditions, despite the shit weather, everyone had an absolute blast. And So, hang on one sec. I got, I got to jump out. It's going to take me like three minutes. I just got to jump out, sign out one of my kids because I move them between schools right now. But but while, while I'm doing that, explain, because people probably don't understand what happens between day one and two. Yeah, I'll go. Over, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll see when you get back. And I'll, I'll be right back. Yeah. Cool. All right, so I, I'm sure you guys who are listening to this, you've either shot, especially if you're in the, the, the east, southeast, you guys know how the Guardians work. But, okay, you, you squad up day one. You shoot individual match. Uh, everyone gets, I don't care if you're Morgan King. I don't care if it's your first day, there's corrections for everybody and it's really in the, the spirit of having fun. Um, you, uh, you get corrections unless you ask, unless you say you don't want them and then, you know, whatever, no one's going to give them to you if you don't want them, but you, uh, you know, you get corrections, you shoot in the day, like first through third gets trophies for like divisions. They've got an LEO division. They've got, a. um, Women's division, open division. I don't. I can't remember if they've got a tack division or not. I don't think so. Um, but you know, you get, uh, you get your score. Okay, let's say you're first on day two. You get matched up with the guy who got last. If you're second, you get matched up with the guy who gets uh, second to last. And then all the way down the line to where the guy who the two guys who finished dead middle are paired up, and they're normally the ones that end up winning day two, um, the team match. And yeah, that's uh, what happened to you for us. Like the middle, the middle wins the team match. Cause they're even pairs. Yeah. Yeah. And they're even, and they can, you know, they'll, they'll split up their hits and you know, the, the course of fire with their hits. And that typically adds up higher than the, the ace in a hole who won it yesterday. That is paired up with a guy who hit two plates all day. 
you know what I'm saying? The, the, the talent is more evenly distributed amongst the team and you know, it works out that way. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, you know, I've seen it the other way around. I've seen it where I think did Phil get like, so when Phil came and shot the garden with me a couple of years ago, Phil Blejo, he won day one. He won, um, he run mill Elio and did he, did he win fuck the team thing too? I, I don't know. He had a fucking asshole of trophies here at the house that I gave him like two years later. Cause he left them at my house. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, it can't happen, but generally speaking, the, the middle, the middle team, uh, they're the ones who end up doing better on day two. And a lot of times it's the same exact course of fire. It's just a, a little bit of added time and you split the round count with your teammate. Um, and you can have a d- different ways. I've done it different ways. I've done it to where I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot first and then I'll give you the wind call. Watch what I do. You hold the same positions. Like you basically run the, the barricade, how I ran it. And then, you know, whatever, or I've done it the other way too. And I, both were fun. And I told him, I'll say, Hey, when we get to each stage, I want you to tell me how you did on this stage yesterday. And then, uh, tell me what you did. And if you had success yesterday, we're going we're gonna to run it back. You're going to do it the same exact way, then I'll come in behind you. I don't care if I shoot a single round all day. I want you to take your time and to get the most out of today, and I'm going to help you. And then he, yeah, he could have been like, all right, look, I ate you know buckets of dick on this stage yesterday. Like, okay, well, here's, here's how I would run it. This is how I did it. This is how I believe it would be advantageous for you to run it, and you try it out, and I'll come in behind you. And I think the last time I did that, I think I got 18 rounds off all day, which was, I had a blast and was fine. I told him, I said, I don't care if I shoot. I can put my rifle in the truck today and be happy. Um, I want you to shoot better. And then I'm ready to drink beer. So let's, uh, let's do this. And we had, we had an awesome time. I met a really cool dude and, uh, we had some shit in common. He lived in Maryland where I used to train, uh, working dogs all the time. And he knew, all the places that I would be in Maryland and I knew where he was and all kind of cool stuff. It was a really awesome experience and he had a blast and, um, you know, so either way you can't go wrong with day two on how you do it. It, it, It's just as long as somebody's learning and, and having, and having fun, it's a win and it's hard not to have fun. I just wish we had more time. And I told Gary this, I told Dorgan, I just wish we had more time to work with, the person that we were paired off with, particularly like maybe the bottom 10 and, and, and then the people that we're going to work with the bottom 10. Cause I think that the, there could be a lot of reasons why the bottom 10 are, are not, are at that, that particular placement. And some of it could be fixed and diagnosed if we had a couple hours to work with them in advance, instead of just figuring it out while we're shooting the, the team match because we had to figure it out on the team match but it took three stages to kind of figure out what was going on um, and then we started to get more hits but but had we had a flat range just for a second like to confirm zero maybe chronograph and or to shoot a target at distance to confirm that the drop was correct um, would have made a big difference and I think you know people take for granted that you know you have a zero and stuff like that but some people don't know how to set their zero and they don't understand entering data into their ballistic calculator. And, and the game that we play is entirely dependent on accurate data and a ballistic calculator so that you have appropriate drop 
Mark in there. And, um, you know, I think that would have made a big difference for my guy. Cause I, I think my guy hit one target all day, uh, on Saturday. So, um, it, you know, and then, and then I think like, shit, had we checked a zero and had somebody kind of mentor him through developing a dope chart that was going to work, uh, you know, he'd have probably hit more targets on Saturday just with that. And, um, you know, I, I mean, for, for better or for worse, like, you know, I think he figured that out, but it, it would have been cool to be able to do that ahead of time. And, and, um, I also think it would be cool to, um, I also think it would be cool to, you know, if, if that you knew we're going to. You're breaking up a little bit. Bottom up to be. Um, you got me? Yeah, I got you now. All right. I think it would be cool to, like, shooters. When you signed up, like, and you knew you were you were competitive, or you were, you know, you you shot a certain number of matches. I think when you register, it says like, "Have you done ten or more national matches?" Like, if somebody clicks that box, then maybe like, maybe them two good shooters get get squatted deliberately with people that have never shot a match before, right? And then they shoot all the matters with them to begin with, and then they start that mentoring right off the bat. I think would be pretty cool because you you know you're going to shoot the way you shoot no matter what, but if you're squatted with a bunch of good shooters, you know you're not really benefiting the guys that it's their first match as much as you might be able to do that on Saturday. But trying to maximize that time is hard. I think that I would be happy in the future to be squatted with exclusively with people that have never shot a match before, just try to help them through the course of fire, and then you could demonstrate how you do it and then have them try to figure out how to, you know, add their personality and their shooting experience to that because you kind of got to model that at first before they take it as their own, you know? I mean, and a lot of the problems that you're going to have in day two, like you mentioned, are going to be either equipment problems, whether they be data problems, you know, like the, the match that I was just talking about a minute ago, the guy that I got paired up with, you know, he had a rifle, he had one bag. I don't remember what it was. A one bag, and he had an ammo can, like an old school army ammo can. That's what he carried his ammo with. One magazine. He didn't have dope. He had well, he had written dope that he had. I don't even know how he got it, but you know there was a little bit of walking him in on the plate, and then noting that, and then you know figuring out the rest of the day. Whereas, and see the the earlier guardians, I know you would find out your partner. Uh, on day one, after the match was over with, you're you're going to find out. And then that is a good time if you wanted to do that. Like, hey, before the beers start getting cracked open on day one, let's uh, you know, get with your partners. And if there's something that you guys need to kind of hound down and figure out, you know, like an equipment issue, a zero issue, a data issue, a, a velocity issue, y'all can be better prepared for the next day. I don't know. I don't know that you'll have a lot of opportunity to get that done all on day two before the match because you know people got to go home, they got to travel. You know, it's Sunday. Most people gonna be at work on Monday. If you can get all that done Saturday afternoon before you know everyone goes home or, or you know starts opening the cooler, then that that would be an awesome time. But it needs to be kind of set up to hey, look, we need to finish by this time, and then give the shooters this time to kind of figure stuff out for the next day. Uh, I think yeah. you need, but, but yeah, that would be epic to be able to do, but Hey, 
there's something to a little bit of OJT, a little on-the-job training where on day two, when you when you the experienced shooter have the opportunity to teach the the, the less experienced shooter on how to figure out these issues, the, the, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they're supposed to that no your, the velocity on the box is is an average of a gun that they shot, not yours. Yours may be a hundred feet per second different, and that matters. Um, and we need to figure that out. You know, they they may not know that. Well, it says twenty eight fifty right here on the box. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Might be if you're lucky, it might be close to that. But chances are, it's not. Let's go figure it out. I've got a chronograph in the truck. Let's go look. And then, then, oh shit. Okay, now I know what to do. Really, for all of my guns now, right? You know, that's that's what they'll come away with. And but as far as having all the teams tr- as close to being equally competitive as you can on day two, it would behoove you to get with your partner on day one and figure out where they at, where they are, where their equipment is, and run down some uh, quick basics, some stuff that they'll face the next day. I think there's a, there's yeah. a lot to that for sure. And to tell you the truth, like I couldn't care less, like whether I was competitive on day two or not. I don't think it's it's not realistic to say we're going to pair things and create an even playing field. But well, it's not even cool meant to be. It's not even meant to be, really. You know. Right. But the thing is, like nobody cares, and it's really fun to just meet somebody and shoot with them. Oh yeah. And talk to them about and how to do it and, and I do think there's a lot to be gained though from showing people where their area of improvement I mean it kind of goes back to the unconventional skill assessment we're developing like there's a lot of things that people are screwing up but they don't they don't know what those are and there's some that you have to satisfy before you start to do other things and so I feel like you know it's the same idea but you're attacking it from a different direction it's like okay you're going to come to me and I'm going to have you shoot. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to give you tips or advice. I'm just going to put you through a course of the fire that's designed to test different skills. And I need to get a lot of data first. I'm going to figure out like, what are you best at? What are you worst at? And then in terms of order of priority, which ones have to come first before the other ones start to make sense. And then, you know, rather than saying like, you know, everybody line up in a row and become clones and do all the same thing. Saying for you to get better, I think you need to work on this thing first. And once that comes up, then you need to work on this thing. And let's develop a training plan. I don't need to do it with you today. I'm going to send you home with a training plan for a month or two. And if you follow it, you will have better results when you're done. And it's because there's a logical order. And you know, clearly. You have to have good zero and good data to hit targets hard. That's not how good your wind calls are or how consistent you are if your data is total garbage, right? And so, yeah, we figured that out by um, – you know, I noticed that he was changing the velocity. He was changing all sorts of stuff in his Kestrel. He's still not hitting. So I, I shot his rifle, made a correction, you know, hit it, and then – was just winging dope and hitting targets, you know, just because I've shot enough to be able to say, like, you know, I know, I know what the drop's going to be 100 yards farther shooting at 308. I'm going to hit that target. And so I was just winging it and hitting it. So then I said, like, look, shoot my rifle. And afterwards, we just both shot my rifle. Um, you know, I was like, all right, you know, your zero's off, your wind's off, and your data's off. Like, this isn't really testing you about, you know, shooting, but but it, had we had the chance to do that, 
at least we could have um, squared away one of those elements. But once, once I actually put him on my rifle, he was, you know, he got all his hits. So it was like, shit, we were, we were slower because we were using one rifle to do two jobs. But, um, you know, it's like, oh shit, like this is, this wasn't a display of your shooting ability per se, because with my rifle, you were hitting all the targets. Um, well, he wasn't chasing his tail. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not constantly chasing something that you're never going to catch. And that's, that's basically what he was having going on with his, with his rifle. And yeah, then you can, after the matches over with, you can go back to the zero range and figure that out. Okay. You were three tenths left and four tenths high. That's one reason why. And it's, it takes an experienced person to be able to catch that in a course of fire on a stage. Like, okay, I'm four tenths high and I'm three tenths left. You know, you, you, you got, you know, not a, a, the, the new shooter is not going to be the guy to catch that and be able to correct that. You know, right, right. the experienced shooters, we can, we can bird dog that out and figure and, and figure out what's going on. Um, or bare yeah. minimum, Hey, I need to go back to the zero range real quick. And then, you know, you bomb, you bomb a stage and you go straight to the zero range. Oh, there's no problem. And then you go back, you fix that, you go to the next stage and, and, and move on. Um, yeah, but your skill assessment thing. Let's just talk about that because that's what something that you've uh, that you've you've kind of developed since uh, I had you on last time. That's you're basically you had it was over there at the um, at at Frank's range at Fort was it Fort uh, Morgan, Fort, Morgan. Fort Morgan right? Yeah, where he where he teaches classes, his general classes. Um, yeah, I got a bunch of steel made uh, from a local guy, Austin Angus, the AA target. I had a bunch of stuff. Uh, custom hangers made to create an assessment that essentially allows me to quantify those uh, you know the, the the four axioms I guess like if we're going to use that lingo and so I can quantify the four axioms to a certain extent to figure out where your weakness is because if you if, you know if you ask somebody you know hey do you need any help they usually say yeah man I need help wind reading or I need help with something specific but then when you actually watch them shoot like man I, you know that's that's not going to improve your hit percentage at this point, you know. But but this will, and then you tell them something else, and they almost don't want to believe you because they cite back to like there's this weird phenomenon that I noticed, and it's a little tangent, but it, it plays right into the skill assessment. You know, I'll say, you know, people people are like, okay, the rifle crap, rifle rifle crap, but then at the, on the on the in the same conversation, they'll say like, hey, my crap number is this. Like, look at my targets. You know, my, you know, I'm trending off to the right. You know, how do I fix that? And then I'll give them an answer, and they'll send me links from Brian Litz, from Modern Day Sniper, from you know these other schools, and say, but these people are saying this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you can, you know, people are going to say different things for different Reason. different results. Yeah. And, and and the links and the things that they're saying to work on are not related to the craft target that they sent me. It's just like, hey, you know, you should do this, like work on your natural point of aim, or you should work on your trigger. I mean, it's, you know, it's just it's just random shit. But it, you realize that there's a lot of people out there that spend a lot of time on the internet looking for training tips that are posted by people that teach or report or have a business um, helping people, but. People are pulling from so many sources that it that you're almost rendered ineffective because you have so many conflicting 
things being thrown at you and they might not they might all actually be true and they might all actually be helpful but the context is not appropriate so yeah. i usually say like that's the important if you're gonna, part yeah so people are asking me about wind because i you know lately i've been talking more and more about wind because that's a personal area of study that i go to so they're like okay i'm gonna go to modern day snipers wind clinic so they go to that and then they come back and they say like i went to this wind clinic and i did all this stuff can you help me with wind? And I say like, well, didn't you just go to a class? And I'm like, yeah, but like my hearing percentage was the same at the match that I went to. I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe you should work on what they told you to work on because it's not going to happen overnight. They're like, well, what do you do for wind? And, and it's like, well, it's hard to tell you exactly, but I look at the speed, the angle to start with. And then I kind of look at the terrain and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, they told me to do, you know, it's like, bro, if you're going to, get taught by them, let them teach you, like, that's is them. I'm not, I, I can't correct what they tell you because I don't know what they told you to do. Like, listen to one source, and if that source works, stick with it. And if it but, 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 you know, then the same thing, like, Brian Litz will say, like, oh, well, you know, look at this gun that's 2,800 feet per second versus 3,200 feet per second, and the wind budget that that gives you by increasing 400 feet per second. So they're like, should I, you know, should I switch? You know, I don't, maybe I shouldn't shoot Dasher. Maybe I should shoot six creed more. It's like, well, that's not going to help your wind calling. You know, that's basically just a crutch giving you a way to have like to be wrong about the wind speed, but maybe still hit the target. But we're talking about two different things. Like, are you playing a game? And that game is going to involve a different skill set because you're going to have to have better recoil management. You're going to have to have better follow through, you're going to have to be able to spot your target, read a plate. You're going to have to do a lot of things differently with a 3150 6 Creed 4 than a 2850 Dasher. And that while Brian, his data is correct mathematically, it has nothing to do with maybe what they learned at the wind clinic that they went to. It has nothing to do with what I would focus on for wind. And it's like, man, anyone could solve the problem, but if you try to do all three at the same time, you've just, you've, you've got more problems than you started with. Um, well, yeah, you're asking about wind when you just went to a wind clinic from two, two of the best guys in the industry, and you're asking, you're asking you about wind all while having a, a, a four-inch group at 100. Yeah, craft. Right, right, right. Like, right. you're you're barking up the wrong tree. You need you need to right. be there doing shooting at a hundred, getting that number down. Then, if you're still having still missing targets, it might be due to wind. So then yeah. we can talk about. I that. will always default. Personally, I'll always default back to paper. I'll say, "Hey, what's your craft number?" They say, "Oh, I've never actually shot a craft drill." Like, well, why the fuck are you asking me like to help you? If if you if if you don't like buy into the methodology that I think is fundamental. They're like, well, because they told us, you know, we should shoot Ipsix at 500. It's like, great. Well, then go shoot Ipsix at 500. Like, uh, you're, you're wasting all of our time by, by trying to find some secret magic trick that doesn't exist. Like, I don't, I don't know their method. I don't know their techniques. I have a feeling I understand it, but I wasn't there, and I'm not going to speak for them. You know, if you want to learn from me, you know, start by shooting paper at 100. Yeah. I would rather get rid of your issues first because if you can't shoot an inch or two inches, how do you know if you had the wind wrong? How do you, how do you know that the wind blew you off? I mean, we've me and you've had that discussion about corrections. 
if you got a three, if you got a three a craft number of three a three m away at a hundred yards, then and, and your target as is one and a half m away. How do you know that bullet that just went off the downwind side? How do you know that, that the wind picked up and it wasn't you yanking the shot right? Right, right. How, so they say, oh, well, they told us that. <laughs> well, they, they, he's like, dude, they told me to correct one plate to the left. And it's like, yeah, that would work if you could shoot a group that's smaller than the fucking target itself, right? Now it, and then they're like, oh, well, wait, wait a minute. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I printed a group, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, man, you know, I, I just don't, there, there isn't a good answer for you. But those techniques won't work unless you, you know, shoot paper at a hundred. Well, it's fun. It's fun to shoot steel. But then you then you hear about some classes that's like, well, you know, I shot a thousand. You know, I shot all the way to a thousand. Awesome. You know, the the targets were forty eight by forty eight. Like, okay, sick, man. That's freaking awesome. But then I left and my dope wasn't good. It's like, well, that makes sense because you got this fucking big ass billboard you're shooting. You don't need good dope, really. And you don't need good wind. Like, how come I'm still missing with wind? I hit all the targets. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, you were two MOA off and still hit the plate or something like that. And, uh, like, I, you know, I, I can't speak for other people, but there's a lot of things that happen out there that, that, that appear to me like they benefit from making people feel good, but not necessarily raise their skill level. And I, I'm kind of focusing on the other way around. And so, so the skill assessment is focused on, you know, it's humbling for sure. Like if you shot a craft drill, you get humbled to begin with. This is probably even more humbling than that because right. yeah. I'm going to tell you everything that you suck at. And I'm going to tell you what you suck at the worst and explain why you want to probably work on that the most. Start on that. Let's start on that. Let's get that unfucked, and then we can move. You can move on to to honing in the other details that will be a more finer adjustment to the better, as opposed to the more coarse adjustment that you need the most. That's just like someone right. telling you that, hey, hey, Chris, I'm having I'm having dope issues. Okay, do you have a good zero? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I zeroed it a couple of years ago. Well, how do you know that you have a dope issue? You're hitting high when you don't even know that you're zeroed. It's the same concept. Right. How you know you right. have to be you have to have a starting point, and the starting point has to be squared away, for good or for worse. It has to be squared away to know if okay, do I have it? Do I need to play with my kestrel, or do I need to go yep. and adjust my zero on my scope? Right, right, right. And, and it, it's, it's funny because, like, I can go down a rabbit hole and kind of sound negative, but it, it kind of makes me laugh that, like, so many things happen that, that kind of mislead people and they chase the wrong thing, but then they jump ship and, and listen to all sorts of different conflicting areas of improvement when if they just stick, stuck with one, they would probably have the most success. But but when I saw it at the Guardian, it was pretty funny, and it's, a, it's an issue of, of uh, Cameo, but they, they, they got, like, this... Uh, you know, it's at least 48 by 48 at a thousand plate. It's got a flasher on it, but something's wrong with the flasher. People don't realize it. If you shoot the berm anywhere, like it's got this huge thousand yard berm, and there's an ipsic to the right, there's this huge plate to the left, but it's like a 20 foot tall berm by like 40, 50 feet yard wide. If you shoot the dirt on the berm, the flasher will go off. So people were saying like, well, I went to confirm my dope, and like it was kind of off going out to a thousand, but man, I got a first round impact at a thousand. Because the flasher went off, like dude, you missed the target by eight feet, and it still went off. Like, so that you need a new flasher. So yeah, so they're putting in all this crazy data based on the thousand yard dope that was put in. But you could, you probably, you know, it, it, 
if it's if it's seven mils to a thousand, if, if you were anywhere from like five and a half to nine mils, you could get the flasher to go off. You know, if, if you didn't see where your impact was, you'd be like, dude, I saw a flasher go off. And, um, and, and a lot of people hadn't realized that. And, um, and I said, yeah, I think that, that, uh, that, that caused some dope issues for people because, uh, they adjusted their velocity and their drop based off of faulty flasher. And, um, I didn't realize that till the team match when we shot at a thousand and I was seeing dirt splash everywhere and the flasher go off and I thought, oh shit, you know? So, um, you know, I shot, I shot his rifle and I shot, and I saw where it hit and, and it was like, okay, well, um, That's crazy. People were shooting all over the place. The flasher was basically just on all the time. Yeah, so like everybody you need be... a new flasher. You need a new flasher, new target or whatever. Cause that that's no good for anybody. So, so you got like this, this crazy opportunity to get information from the internet, but people, instead of listening to one track, cause it, it might sound too hard. They try to look for the easiest solution, but that easy solution isn't solving the problem in the same way. And it's good to have lots of tools in your tool basket, but it's also good to know how they work and, and I think that that's an issue. So my unconventional skill assessment, what I ask people to do, because I've seen it happen a lot, is you, know, you can come to this assessment and then leave and spend six to ten sessions doing the training protocol that I developed from the assessment. But during that window, like, don't take somebody else's advice. Like, just in that window, please give it the time that it deserves and the repetition. And if it takes you a couple months to get six to 10 sessions of training in, then, then at that point, don't, don't try other people's crazy stuff. Just do that. And then we'll do a test afterwards. But we have had like a remarkably high success rate in terms of, um, growth. So I think that they're following the protocol really well. Like, you know, some people haven't, some people are hunters. So it's hard to have a good assessment other than, having them come back and redo the diagnostics to see if the numbers went up. But um, for the people that compete, it, it's been a massive growth for the competitors across the board. So it's not like, oh, you know, one out of 100. It would be easy if you, you, know, if you, if you, if you taught 10 classes of 10 students throughout the year, if one of those people want to match, it's easy to be like, oh, wow, look at this person as a champion, but that's only 1% of the people that you taught having success, whereas, you know, we can quantify it at over 80% success. Wow. Um, it's a bar from, you know, a growth level that's statistically significant. So greater than 20% up to, you know, 60 plus percent improvement in those skills. Uh, but, it, but it takes work, you know, and, that, and that's not something that people actually want to always do. You know, that, that's why diets are, and, 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 um, supplements and all that stuff. Like, you know, if you really wanted to be fit, if you really wanted to be fit and lose weight, you'd exercise and the rest would follow. People don't want to exercise. So they spend a lot of money on gimmicks and, and pills and stuff like that. And I think, it, you know, it's probably the same with shooting. Like want to get better. We can, I can tell you how to put in the work, but I'm not going to do the work for you. I, you know, I'll do the work and tell you what you need, almost like a physical, but if you're not willing to put in the effort to improve, uh, no gimmick is going to actually apply. No, but but and, and that's kind of a weird state right now that I think a lot of the, the competitors are in where you know, there's lots of mixed, mixed information and there's a lot of things, but people aren't really putting in a lot of work to bring it up, which is why I think even the best shooters right now 
aren't performing to the best of their ability. You know, I think right now the top shooters are what I would consider upper mediocre. I think we could improve performance massively if we put in more effort, but that's not going to happen until there's a, you know, financial reason for people. You know, shooters aren't professional, so they don't put in the level of work that's professional. Um, right. Because there's no because it's expensive and time consuming, they kind of rise to where the bar is. But if we put the bar, bar higher, I think we could continue to raise it without that much effort quite a bit. You know, and I don't think it would take that much more effort. I think it's just somebody needs to perform there, and then everybody else that's willing to work a little bit will catch up. You know, it, it's, it's after that where it's going to get really interesting. When it becomes professional, and people are being paid to do that, it'll plateau at a level that I think is almost double what people are doing now. And, and you think, like, wow, Morgan King's really good now. Wait to see how good he could be if he was paying a livable, if he was paid a livable wage to shoot. You know, if, uh, you, I, I'm pretty convinced that it would be, you would not be able to have, like, the Weekend Warriors perform the way they do at matches now. No. Next to a professional shooter, no, I think no, that no. it would, you know, people bring up like the Army Marksmanship Unit, which I think is stupid because they don't, yeah, that's, you know, they're likewise, like, yeah, I mean, they have a job, but they go around training other soldiers to shoot and stuff. They're not a performance team. So um, in the precision rifle world, if professional shooters were created and funded in a way to train and shoot at a level, of like human performance, like an athlete, we would see performance levels. I think that they could still double before it started to plateau and you started to be able to select between people that were genetically better, right? At Olympic level athletes, like we're, we're selecting basically people that are genetically predisposed to have the genetic talent and the work ethic, but we're not even close to that now. You know, you could get some freaking fat ass drunk, you know, hillbilly win a PRS match because they're a pretty good shooter. That would never happen if there was professional shooters out there because the targets would be too small, the speeds would be too fast, the wind reading would be too precise. And and I think that, you know, we could do that in a pretty short period of time if there was a financial benefit to people. And I think that, you know, I, I would I'm not necessarily driven to be I, I, I would like to help train people to do that. And I think I could. Um, I know I could. I just, you know, personally, I'm driven to do diversity over specificity. Right. But well, um, it was, if that day came, like the the game, the game would have to change. It gets because you've got guys that are right now, as of today, dropping two shots over two days. Or right. Three it's too shots. easy. Right. Um, so if you let's say let's say you you kept the same game level, but you 10 X the experience and the training and the six, the, well, the skill of the people that are winning it, then it would, they the top 10 guys would clean the whole match and it would only be separated by time. You would have to change the game. So it would be more of like positional targets at a thousand. Well, you'd have a professional, and a non-professional circuit, right? Sure. The non-professional PRS and the professional circuit would be like a global, professional right. level yeah. sports thing. And, and they would be, it wouldn't be fair for them 
know, I mean, it, it would be like taking an NFL player and putting them in a pop Warner football game. Like, it just wouldn't happen. We don't have the NFL yeah. yet. Right. Agreed. Agreed. There's people that could, but there's no reason for them to shoot. It's too expensive for them. They have day jobs. There's not enough money returned. There's no, no, there's no real ROI. There's, there's no return right. investment at all to where it makes sense to do that. No. And, I, and exactly. I, I hope, you know, as the enthusiast, I hope that that day comes because I'd love to be able to watch that and be a part of the game. Obviously not as a competitor, but uh, you know, be part of the game as it, as that thing kind of comes to fruition, um, in, like through its infancy and stuff like that. Uh, but if, if it happens, it's great. Will it happen? I, it we'll see. We'll see if it happens. But I think it would be fucking kick ass. Um, yes, it would be, dude. I think it'd be cool. We, we've talked I mean, about a lot, it. I mean, you talked about yeah, it on the or, last time you came on. You know. Yeah, yeah. but I, that's the way I think. Like in terms of you know, coming from athletics and coming from things that that you know have a high level of performance associated with. Um, you know, I think about that. You know, that's kind of. But 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 I also like to explore. You know, I'm kind of new to, to competitive shooting in the bigger picture. So I, I like the field stuff and I like doing the getting dirty stuff and I'm not so much into the sterilized thing, but I could tell you that very first that seemed like it had an ember that could have been carried towards that, but, but it was lost. And, and, uh, but, but we could relight that ember or we could recreate something, but I do think it has to be, but I, if the industry would be willing to fund something like that to produce you know, sport shooting. Yeah, you're cutting out a little bit. I, I think it would take I think we got to the same point. I think we, we, we got to the same crux in the last podcast you did with me. I think it would take corporations, advertisers that would not be scared of the the vocal vast minority that would protest it given our political climate around the second amendment and firearms and everything like that. I think it would take, it would take a big investor to actually find some balls and be like, I don't give a fuck about the, the, the 12 emails I get um, that, that would be, you know, not in favor of this being a thing. And I'm moving right. forward. It would, t- and, and that, that person may very well exist. I hope they, I, God knows. I hope they do. Um, but it would take them and it's like, yeah, I don't give a shit what, you know, the 12 emails from mom's demand action, you know, because it would take about that same many to sway a multi-billion dollar corporation to not, you know, have a certain spokesman because he eats at Chick-fil-A, you know, they, they'll, that's a thing, you know what I'm saying? But until they get, until the big money gets balls that I, I don't think something, I don't think it could it would almost be like plutonium that no one wants to come near it, you know, under this climate. And I, I, I would love to be wrong. And I'm hoping that one day that changes. Um, but yeah. it, it's going to take some, it's going to take some non shooting related changes for that to happen. And it will take, yeah. it'll take shooting changes for it to happen as well. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and I, don't I think hope it happens. happens. I hope so. There isn't any financial. If there was, the military would be better at shooting. And even the best shooters in the military really aren't that good, right? right. Yeah. In our country are the hillbillies that are winning the PRS, right? right? 
Yeah. And, and, and they, I mean, they, they can run circles around other people because they, they have to invest time in, in other skill sets. But and also they, they're the institutional training that they get. And then they outsource people to have like gimmicks, but they're not really making them any better. Just just like I can make you feel good about hitting targets and teach you tricks that are fun. Not really improving your shooting. Uh, it's just, just, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of a self licking ice cream. Too, but I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that it wouldn't be difficult to create a system that created better shooters. There's just not a good reason right now. No, it's, that reason, instead, give me a, a reticle that looks like a mosquito net and call it a fucking a system. Well, I, I mean, who knows what the reason is, and I, and I don't make those decisions, but Money. I'm always surprised that people that shoot for a living aren't, aren't really all that good. And, um, you know, people that shoot for a hobby are pretty good, but you see the systems and their capabilities at this point. We don't need better technology. Like, but people just aren't performing at a level that really splits hairs of performance. If you, if you got a whole, if you got a rifle that shoots a quarter inch load, we could be competing on half MOA targets if the wind is low. Um, and, you know, if, if the wind is not variable at two miles an hour, you know, let's say you got a, a fluctuation of two to three miles an hour, and people can literally claim to shoot a quarter inch group, we should be competing on half MOA to to three-quarter MOA targets on the small end. And, you know, maximum of one and a half MOA, maximum. But the time constraint should be sub-five seconds for an elite shooter for positional build and breaks. And, and they could do that. They literally could do that, you know, in within a year, I think, if they were paid to train for a year and focus on the specifics, you know, and then, decision, then you layer in decision-making, field stuff, and that time frame is going to slow down but the time frame right now they're everything's so ridiculously slow you could be super sloppy and i'm not saying i'm good at it but you can see it right you can see the numbers and the numbers are justified scientifically quantitatively based on external ballistics now it's just the lack of human performance but the lack of human performance could get there if there was a reason to train for it and there isn't which is why i trained so hard for assassin's ways because i was going to win five hundred thousand dollars like right dude, there was like a if it was massive t- incentive there, massive five hundred thousand incentives actually. If you give me five hundred grand, I'll win anything. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm like I'm forty eight and broken. If you if like give me a million bucks and and like I bet you I could get on an NFL team. I never played football in my life. Like people can train when there's an incentive, but right now that incentive has to be. Um, you know, financial, yeah, and, 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 but, but, but yeah, I think that certainly there's massive gains to be had. And I think that despite all of that, if, if all we get is the shit that we have available now, which is pretty fun and people are performing at a low level for the most part, I can get them to the podium, right? It's just going to take some time and effort, but it's not all that hard if, if people really want to put in the time an effort to do that, but I think I could take a beginner out on podium at a national match in a year, probably, you know, but it would cost them some money. Right. Um, but, but I'm pretty sure I could do that. And, and I'm trying to try to walk the walk. So this year I went back and I was like, look, you know, after COVID I had some credibility before because I'd won a bunch of matches 
then then you know didn't shoot very much and was talking about rifle craft but people are like well yeah but can you shoot so this year i went back shot 13 national matches my worst performance was fifth place and and, and i got five first place and you know kind of filled in that gap and, and it's like okay look I, I can shoot if i need to but but really what i want to be is a coach right and i want to train so now it's like, man, I want that credibility to come back from the shooters. And there are some shooters that have been training a lot with Riflecraft but, and getting success, but I don't see them posting about it. Like, they'll message me, thanks for all the help. But, you know, I think that, that there's there are still, like, camps and gangs, of, you know, in shooting, which I, I kind of makes me laugh. Like, it's so silly and bullshit. But, you know, it's still kind of a, kind of a, a weird they're kind of weird subcultures that, that kind of have some animosity and stuff, which, which I don't really. It's a human thing, dude. It, it really is. There, 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 there's that very same thing in literally every um, facet of anything in life. There's always, there's always those, whether it be a sport, whether it be a hobby, whether it be fucking political, whether it be weaving baskets. There, it's, 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 an, it's a, a, hum, a weird human thing. I mean, a tribal, but it doesn't a tribal. Have to. No, f- fuck. Of course, it doesn't it, have to. But we, we're, we're, we're like we're a tiny community, and and we're viewed like I, I think like that. That's kind of the point I came to on the podcast about the garbage. Is that like you know, Cameo, Colorado pulled some shit and said you know we're gonna we're gonna enforce the magazine issue that we got here and because cameo state funded like they were going to have a document for people to sign and so everybody started boycotting cameo or at least the rumor was everyone's boycotting cameo all the matches are leaving cameo don't go there it's like all right you know let's look into this a little bit further and i couldn't really get any good information and so that was another real motivating component of going to the guardian matches it's the first match that's been at Cameo since all this happened because a lot of people pulled out. I heard a lot of stuff from the league directors, from the match directors, from shooters, but I didn't see it myself. They didn't have us sign anything. Did I didn't I didn't see a document. We asked to see it. They said you don't have to. You're shooting rifles. Oh, great. We, there was nothing. So all the freaking bullshit of people getting excited turned out not really to be true. All here. At least not. Yeah, so so people like backed out, like they totally missed out on a cool opportunity, the cool range to do something good. And in the end, like the, the kids that were raising money for are the ones that lost because they would have had more money had more shooters showed up. Of course, fire was great. It was really fun. Um, you know, people would be saying like, oh my God, like I, I totally could have beat you. So um, you only got first place because, you know, I didn't come. Man, came. If, you, if you didn't come because of that document, like you're a total pussy. Like, come on. Like, let's go see things firsthand and experience them firsthand. And, and I think that that, um, you know, it's a disappointing thing because people, you know, they're afraid. And then they talk a big talk, but then when push comes to shove, like, I don't know, go see it. Like, and if they have a document and, and you're like, hey, I don't want to sign that, at least you're there. And say, hey, I went there, but they wanted me to sign a document. And I said, no. So I did something else. But they didn't have a signed document. Um, and it was a fun match. And I think that, um, yeah, I think it's, 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 you know, the larger, like you mentioned the larger world of like, you know, moms against guns kind of thing. The people that don't shoot, they see you and I just the same as like the fucking butt at the range. They right. see you and oh, I yeah. just, Oh yeah. Just the same. The 100% correct. Tattoo, 
met, bro. Like, like to the world, we're there's nothing different about us. Like a USPSA pistol shooter and a PRS long range shooter, fuck, there's no difference. A tax shooter, a SWAT person, you know, whatever. Like, no difference. Fucking gangbanger, no difference. So, if if we're so busy fighting each other that that we that we kind of they're going to make decisions for us. You know what I mean? Like there, there, oh, yeah. there's more, there's more of them and they can vote more than us. So I think the, well, the real point, when especially when you're arguing over some, like the precision rifle QA non equivalent. I mean that that's really what it is. Is somebody who heard something who is the, like the, the game of telephone where at one end, they say something at the very end. By the time it goes through everybody down the line, it's something completely different from the first. It's exactly what it was. And it was probably – and I didn't really hear much about it um, but prior to your podcast about it because you're being on the East Coast. Um, but, yeah, I, that's exactly how it works out. You get one person that says something about, hey, I think they, they, there's there's some type of affidavit that you got to sign, said you don't have a magazine more than 10 rounds, something like that. And then the next person hears it and and gets about eighty percent of that, and then adds another twenty percent, and then the same thing happens to the next guy. And before you know it, it's some internet conspiracy about you know they're they're you're putting trackers in your uh, your rifle case to follow you back home and arrest you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There's no fucking telling what everyone thought you know, based off of who they heard from who. Totally. And, and you can't help it. You're like, you hear something, you hear tons of rumors. I do too. And it's like, yeah. So you, so you hear them, you acknowledge them. And then you, if they're important to you, you could pursue them and then try to track, track it down and find out if it's real. And oftentimes the only way to kind of finally validate that is to see it in person. And so, well, there's you know, no, there's and, no, and vetting. no vetting got done with anybody's information when they found out about it. It's just a lack of vetting is, is and like, I'm a bad person, you know, when it, when it comes to that, because like, I'm not afraid to speak to my like. I'm I'm no different on the internet or on the phone or in person. You know, if if, if there's something that I don't like, I don't. I might not be right, but I'm going to ask you about it. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'll, I'll even make my hypothetical scenario just to see, like, okay, well, what about this? You know, and, and and so that can seem argumentative, but really the idea, and I think that goes back to like the cultural stuff that we we're talking about, like the cultural, my cultural background from like subcultures and just growing up stuff, but. I want to talk about things and understand where you're coming from. And I, I can, I, in your mind, I really like be, you. Yeah. in your mind may is very able to be changed. If, if you get information it's that totally. you didn't have prior, that goes the face of what you thought your initial reaction or your initial thoughts on the subject, you have the ability to change your fucking mind. It's like, damn, it takes a big person to say, well, damn, I had it wrong. I was wrong. And this is I mean, that there's not enough of that today. Everyone's just, Oh, it's misinformation. <laughs> it's just fucking fake news and they right, just, right, right. they are echo chambers that it's well it's coward i think it's cowardly because you know you know like the people that i like the most they know i'm gonna disagree with them a lot because i'm gonna challenge them and it's and, and it's only gonna make me like them more and and being willing to say dude I, you know i think you're off base let's talk about this oh shit like you that's not what i meant to say so how did it come across and let's talk about this or if you made a bad decision like dude it's like Dude, I, I would not have made that call. Like you made a, I think that's a bad decision, and here's why. Right. And yeah, that doesn't mean I don't like you. It means I like you, right? If I didn't like you, I wouldn't say anything. But I, I want to engage with people in life to try to figure out where they're coming from, 
what am I missing? Like, and learn about where they're coming from. But that in the shooting world, a lot of times that comes across in a weird way. And some, you know, I, I consider them fragile people, but those fragile people, you know, have been rubbed the wrong way by me and how I interact with people, you know, and because I, I also like really couldn't care less about authority. I just go straight to the source, you know, as high as I can and talk to them about issues so I can come to understand it because I don't want to take second or third hand knowledge after I've heard it a bunch, you know, you can't help but hear things second or third hand, but eventually you got to track it back up and see it firsthand. If somebody, if they're like, Oh, so-and-so is an asshole. I'm going to go hang out with them and see if I think they're an asshole. If it matters to me, I'll be like, dude, they're not an asshole at all. Like maybe they were misunderstood. Maybe, maybe you're the asshole, the, the person who told you they were an asshole. Maybe you're the asshole in the situation. And now, now you actually have a problem. Not, not this guy. This guy doesn't have a problem. You right. have the problem that you need to go work on. Right, right. So I think that, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of issues that need to kind of be sorted out. But I think that the one focus that we need to maintain personally is that we're we're in it together and we're viewed as a unit rather than like, you know, I think that that everybody wants to feel tough, right? And like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a firearm owner and exercising my Second Amendment. They're really like the total pussies, and they're not willing to actually like go out of their way to make things better. You know, they just kind of hunker down and fight on the internet. Well, the entire the, the entire moral moral of the story it ties this in with the whole training thing that we talked about. First and foremost, work on yourself. Then yeah. you worry about the other things. If if you work if you work on yourself with this, then it'll make you a better person. If you work on yourself in the training, it's going to make you a better shooter. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't worry about don't worry about wind when you can't shoot a better than a four inch group at a hundred yards. Let's let's unfuck that. Let's let's peel that onion back, and then we can worry about the other onion. You know, with wind or whether it be with caliber choice or wind. You know what. Which one bucks win a little bit better? Let's not worry about that. That's neither here nor there. Shoot two twenty three. Shoot that. Shoot at hundred yards. When you can shoot at one inch, you know, across all the positions, then we can talk about caliber. Then we can talk about wind. Let's let's unfuck that first. You know, and that, that's what people that's default. Really like, they don't really, really like answer. Right. And yeah. And so I'm just, I just I don't want to I don't want to be that person. Like, should I get a trainer? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, trainers expensive. When you add it all up, just shoot your fucking rifle. Let's figure it out. You know, is there a caliber I should shoot? What are you going to do? Like, you should, you know, get a Dasher or a 6.5 Creedmoor. Like, like, don't bother with 308. Like, people are afraid to give straight answers. And the straight answer might not be, but I, I like to give people answers. Like, what's, you know, what scope should I get? Like, well. When it works. Yeah, I broke a lot of them. So. Let's go with something that that works, but that isn't too expensive. But you're not going to ever have an issue with like, do I need to do I need load development? I don't know. Like, how does it shoot factory ammo? Um, you know, I, I personally I think that that factory ammo is awesome to shoot because it saves you time for shooting, right? And you're going to spend a shitload of money to reload. You're going to spend. It's not going to save you anything, right? If anything, you're going to spend more money doing that. So, so I, I have definite opinions about it. And if you're asking me my opinion, I'm going to tell you my opinion. Not well, I don't know. Like, like, dude, it's a 308 because that's what we learned on in Vietnam. Like, yeah, things have changed. Yeah, you know, shit changes, bro. 
<laughs> and and it's like, man, people are afraid to just say it. Like, dude, that this is what I think. It's based on my personal experience. Like, I had a 308. Totally. Because I probably made all the bad decisions that everybody's made. And maybe even more. Like, I have a 223. I have a 308. I've got gas guns. I've got bolt guns. I've got pistols. I've got, you know, this site, that site, these scopes, that scope. And it's like, man, you know what? I would have saved a hell of a lot of money getting a 6.5 Creedmoor and only shooting 6.5 Creedmoor. If I could go back in time, I would have just got it, you know, and I could just say like, look, you're going to get this and you're not going to change it at all. Ever. Yeah. I'm And that's it. I've got nine like, barrels for my AI dude. dude you're, you're preaching to the choir. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm but, the world's worst at that. I've got like nine barrels and about six different calibers. So uh, I'm the but, world's worst at that man with one rifle. Yeah, yeah, you say they're like, well, wait a minute. Well, but, you know, shouldn't I get a 308 so that I could train the wind more? It's like, no, man. Your hip percentage is going to be so obnoxiously low at distance you're, that you're going to quit. Like <laughs> you're not going to learn anything. You know, on, on a windy day, you're not going to learn anything. It's big. Yeah, but but then it'll tell me how good my wind reading is. It's like, no. Yeah, get a fucking six by three more, work fundamentals, get comfortable with it, and just shoot it and shoot it and shoot it. You know, well, what about a 223? Well, the same thing. Like, at, at some point, if there's any variability in wind, you just won't shoot. The, you won't hit the target, and then you're not really learning to read the wind. You could be learning to spot your misses. But on the other hand, if if it's a two thousand dollar rifle, why spend another two thousand dollars to shoot something else to be outfitted for something else that right. once you get comfortable with it doesn't translate ballistically to your other caliber? Just I mean, like cool. If you want to get a dasher, knock yourself out. But I think six five three more covers most bases effectively and at a very small cost ballistically in some scenarios to other things where that you could pretty much, I mean, if you put it in the hands of a good shooter, they'll win everything. Yeah. And, Look, and if you Morgan, put it in the hands of Morgan's Hunter, proven that Morgan's killing everybody with a six, five Creed more with a heavy ass bullet. Right, and then, but so then people will say, like, yeah, but Brian Liz Poster said that if I have a, you know, a fast six creed more, you know, I'm going to fuck it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, it, yes, that's true. But. You're still shooting four inches 100 yards. So let's, let's you're, that. Yeah, you're still probably going to miss. The wind color is not going to be much different in the first place. Like, if we're talking about a quarter, half an inch of a target at 800 yards, like, man, I, you could bring a shooting group in better than you can the ballistic advantage of that cartridge. And they say, well, what about hunting? Like, you know, at 800 yards, it's like, bro, you're not going to be hunting at 800 yards. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just not realistic. Right. You live in Delaware. Uh, you're not, hunt, you're not killing something at 800 yards. <laughs> like, exactly. dude, you, live, you live in New York state. Shut up, dude. Use a shotgun. <laughs> exactly. You know, but it's like they scour the internet and you get these crazy ideas. Like, yeah, but I heard that. And it's like, yeah, but that's not, you're not going to find yourself in that situation. Context and, is missing in almost all of these scenarios that me and you are jokingly talking about bringing up, they're all accurate in the, the, the sole issue that all of them have that the people whom that we're talking about, it's all context based. The, con, the context total, total. is missing. And, and if they have a, a come to grips with a context, then they can, they can answer their own questions. They don't even have to ask anybody else. If they understand the context of what they hear and then how it does or does not apply to them, they answer their own questions. They have that cognitive ability to, to put one and one to equal two. 
Like I don't need to worry about how much energy my bullet is carrying at 1100 yards on an elk because I, I live in Florida and I hunt pigs at a hundred yards. So maybe that doesn't apply to me. That that's that it that's an extreme case, but that's the same concept of what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, what I think is funny is like, all right. So so they always people want to talk about elk or deer or or pronghorn. I don't see a whole lot of deer out here as much as I see tons of elk and tons of pronghorn. Like, well, oh, bro, dude, I glass some pronghorn at eight hundred yards. It's like, yeah, you know, you can get in your car and drive to two hundred yards, and it's just going to stand there looking at you. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and then it's like, okay, well, there's elk, and I see them on that other mountaintop over there, and that's like, you know, 1,100 yards away. First of all, like, you're going to get the wind call wrong. And second of all, like, between us and them is, you know, 800 yards of trees. That you can so, get minus, you can subtract from that distance, and now you've got a freaking chip shot. Right. And now, so, so let's go to trees. They're, they're just eating grass. Let's go to the edge of the trees, and now we got a 300 yard shot. So, like, I, I just like that kind of stuff. I don't get, and it's like, dude, with an elk, like, we should fucking run up and slap it in the ass. Like, that they're, they're really not afraid of anything. You can get so close that I joke, like, like you know, my my pipe dream is I want to go out with my woodsman hatchet and hunt an elk with a hatchet. Oh, you know, oh shit, it. ethically and legally, it's what's probably the, not okay. What's the ballistic coefficient of that hatchet, sir? Is that an ethical well, shot? I, I, I've told this story. I, I'm, I told this story to like a hunting thing, but but I was out. Uh, I was teaching a course, um, uh, like a navigation, like an advanced navigation and survival course out here a couple of years ago. It was October's opening day for moose season, and literally two moose walked, you know, within six feet of me. Now that, that's kind of a sketchy scenario. And I was kind of I oh, kind of backed up to three around but I, I literally could have other jugglers with an axe. Like they were that close. And no, no, I didn't have a tag. And obviously that's not something I'm going to actually do, but, um, sticking with a I spear. Think people have this idea that like, you know, I have to like drench myself with like moon piss and be in all this camo. You know, I was in running shorts and tennis shoes and a t-shirt. And I was, you know, we were just fucking around in the morning and they had come up from the willows having had some water and they just walked right through camp. Like we had a little camp set up. They didn't give a shit about anything. It was opening day. Yep. Um, and so, so I, you know, I, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm sure that it's hard to find animals somewhere. I'm sure it is. I don't trophy hunt and I'm sure it's hard to take some shots, but I think sometimes people, they're really trying to find these scenarios to give them an excuse to try to shoot from far away when they could literally just walk up and shoot them. Like I, I can't imagine being Colorado resident shooting an elk over a hundred yards because you can just get within a hundred yards of them yeah. without even trying. And same thing with, I mean, you can drive up to most of the animals like, um, and, and sometimes you see that, like they'll just drive up and well, how about their truck? They're, they're accustomed to, they're accustomed to people. They're, they're less aloof yeah. than you, a, a white tail, a white tail in some part of Canada that they've, they've never seen a human or never felt. Right. But then again, that can kind of work in your favor as well. They don't know, if they don't know what you are. They don't know if they should fear you or not. That happens too. You, there's people, there's places you can hunt in Canada that you are the first human that that animal has ever come in contact with and has no fucking idea what you are 
Right. And that's, that's crazy. It's like, there's, there's like a middle ground that most deer live in. Some are so accustomed that they're like, ah, oh, fuck, it's a dude. And then the other one's like, oh my God, that's what it, what the fuck is that? Is that a friend or is that a foe? Uh, it, right. most, most animals live in the middle. Yeah. I think a lot of things we kind of self-create these scenarios because that's what, that's what we expect. But out of that context, you, you kind of have this different perspective and that's my perspective, like from mountain running and trail running and adventure racing. Like I've run up on so many animals. Like I kind of expect to be able to get really close and I tend to be able to get really close. And you know, if somebody's a, a bow hunter, they know they get really close. Yeah. You got to. It's like, how come like last week, so-and-so shot this giant bull at five yards with a bow and arrow. And all of a sudden you think like the only way you're going to be able to do it is 600 yards with a 300. Yeah. You know, like, like, where's the disconnect here? And, and so, yeah, I mean, you could, I don't know, we kind of create, you know, we, we create our life and we create the things that we surround ourselves with. And some of it's just our imagination. Human nature. It, it boils down to human nature. And it's what we right. do. We're, we're weird creatures. But I also think if we set our expectations high, like, yeah, man, I can do that. And I train for it and I check off all the boxes, the prerequisites for that. Like, you can accomplish things that are way cooler than taking a really long shot, which to me would be taking a really close shot. Um, you know, we can create performance levels that are better, you know, instead of always being 50% at a national match. Like, if you really want to be top 10%, like, we can do that. Let's just train to a standard that when you achieve it and can perform at that level all the time, you will go and perform at that level. Yeah. And in a training plan that's tailored specifically to you and your shortcomings and then playing on your strengths. Yeah. If you want to do an Ironman, I tell you how to do an Ironman. I can tell you how to do well at an Ironman. I can tell you how long it'll take you to have a certain level of performance at an Ironman. Right. Very mathematical. It's very procedural and it makes sense. And you might not like, you might not like what I tell you, like if you want to be top 20%, you know, we might be talking about it for several years, but we can get you there. You know, assuming you don't quit, get burnout, quit or injured. And even if you get injured, like we probably still get you there. Go but, broke. Go broke. the big one. You know, if you set a goal and you define it, you, you know, you, you come up with a standard that you need to be able to perform at. People will rise to a standard. You know, that we can prove in everything in life. People will rise to a standard and maintain that standard. Now, going beyond it, that's exceptional. But we, we're all capable of it, Chris. It's not, yeah. it's, not the, it's not the question of whether we can. It's the question in the year 22 is, the 2022 is, will we? Will we do it? Well, that's the problem. You do jujitsu, right? So if you, like, imagine, like, you and... Everyone in your circle, like that comes to your house is a black belt in jujitsu. Guess what? Your kid is going to be a black belt in jujitsu and they, they're not even going to try it. Like it's just going to be sure. That's just where they're going to be. And they're going to perform at that level because that's just the way life is. That's all they know. Now, if you think this is impossible, it's going to be so hard and you got to do all these, you know, infinite steps between here and there, they're never going to become a black belt. Oh yeah. So, by creating all those infinite steps and defining things as, oh, this is super hard, and this is super hard, this is super hard, and it's going to take you all this time to get here, and it's like, fuck, you're never going to get there. But if you just say, like, look, this is where we're going. What do you need to do to get there? And you just do it, 
it happens. There's a famous there's a famous saying that in jujitsu is is pretty much told to all white belts is that the only thing a black belt is is a white belt that didn't quit, a white belt that kept showing up. Like they didn't have to do any one thing. Showing up will take care. You will you won't have if you keep showing up, you do not have a choice but get better. You will get a you will get better whether you try to or not. A black belt is just a white belt that kept showing up. And that is very, very true. Mm-hmm. You can you can try your best to fuck it up, and if you keep showing up, you're still get fucking good at it. So and 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 I and I feel is that that's the same kind of kind of for everything that doesn't have a legit physical limitation. I will never be a long jump uh, gold medalist. I don't have. I'll never be. I'll never beat Usain Bolt. But in something like a skill that you learn, uh, that that goes true across the board. So. Well, Chris, look, we've done two and a half hours, and that was awesome. And right here in the middle of the day, my phone has been blowing up this entire conversation because I'm technically still working. So <laughs> I, I got to get back to work. Um, I appreciate you coming on, dude. I'm glad we got to fucking nail it down, dude. We've been tr- we've been missing each other uh, for a couple of weeks. Can you do it? No, we got this. I had this. You had that. We're busy. We both got kids and shit. And, hey, sometimes we just got to get it done in the middle of the fucking day, right? Um I'm only mad that I didn't drink a few beers, but it's probably a good thing I didn't. But, um, yeah, just just uh, stick around till, uh, after I end this, and we'll we'll talk for another second. I'm on the way out. But, uh, everybody, guys, thanks, as always. You got a good one today. Um, I'll, I'll get this posted up tomorrow, or actually this evening. I'll get it posted up tonight. But um, I appreciate all the downloads. And, uh, hey, if you're, uh, if you're on Instagram, uh, Chris is gun around the sun. And go give him. He's always got some awesome pictures and puts a little food for thought out there. Um, you know, he'll he'll pose questions for you to think about. It's always good questions you to post up. He wants to hear from you. Um, if you're uh, also if you're not following me on Instagram, it's at just f and send it podcast uh, underscore podcast. Um, but Chris, again, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Heck yeah, man! Anytime. Yeah, we'll we had to get you on mine. Yeah, any, look. You, you, let me, you let me know when, and we'll make it happen. But just hold on for a second. We'll catch you all on the flip, guys. Thanks.